This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. A simple catch with your father might spark a lifetime of love. Jamie Maggio fell in love with sports with the help of her grandparents while living on Long Island. Years later, she is one of the hardest working people I know in sports television. It's not like I sat there and watched a baseball game or a football game and understood the strategy necessarily. What I saw was the emotion and the excitement. And I not just for the, the fans at the game, the players, but within my family, within my community. It was it was exciting and, and it felt like a you know, it brought people together. And that as a as a child is what I experienced first and how I first became a sports fan. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from Hall of Fame basketball players, fashion designers, and former Air Force pilot for over 30 years, and now master gardener, Scott Wilson. You know, I've been doing this for more than three decades, and I still get excited when I go to the garden and I see that plant pop up for the first time, or I see the, the first ladybug of the season, or a couple of days ago I had the first hummingbird of the season show up. And and it's that that excitement of something new that really stimulates all of us. The rest of my conversation with Scott can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for my sponsor for diving into my conversation with Jamie Maggio. I am so lucky that we're in this beautiful cabin in San Bernardino. (laughs) (laughs) And I get to sit down with Jamie in her hidden estates. It's great to have you here. It's good to see you in person. It's been a long time, uh, but always one of my favorite people when I was working at the Angels. So it's good to catch up in person. It was, uh, it's amazing. Since I've seen you, they haven't won a playoff game. Uh, Maybe they miss us. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should go back. They could use our help. I don't know if you could throw or pitch anymore. No. I, what I, did you play in softball? What was your position? Oh, my gosh. You have to go there? I well, was, I just, you could help them. What do you people, got? Well, I work in sports, and people are always like, oh, did you play sports growing up? And I have to say, oh, I played lacrosse and softball. And they're like, oh, you know, so I, I got the hardest working trophy, which <laughs> meant that I was the worst player on the team. I was... I'm not going to say I was an athlete. I was a cheerleader, and I was very good at leading everybody. Hey, guys, we're on defense right now. Hey, like, I got scout team player of the year. I, I'm see, with you. you I, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I was mostly, yeah, I was in the outfield somewhere. Okay, well, they can use some help. <laughs> can you play center field? Sure. Your back has got to be better than Trout's right now. Or Trouty. I know. Yeah. That's brutal. I hope yeah. it doesn't become something like. Well, he said it won't, so. My fear is. We're just going to dive right in. My fear is we could just go sports right now for 12 hours (laughs) that he's going to go down as the greatest baseball player to either never play in a world series or win a damn playoff game. Gosh, he's never won a playoff game. He has one hit in three games. It's such a shame. I mean, I was there his rookie year and and you're like, this kid is so damn special. And he's such a nice guy too. And, uh, you know, years of working around pro athletes, like you really root for the people that are nice to you, that are easy to work with, that, you know, are, are just kind people. And I've always thought trout was a great human. Right. It would be such a shame for him to not have that level of, of success. But, you know, it happens. It happens. And I, and I credit him. I do think it's, it's pretty special when, when guys stay with one team for their whole career. 
You know, they don't go chasing right. the ring. The Kobe thing. The, the right. Kobe, uh, Dirk, Tim Duncan. Right. There's, you know, the handful of guys that have stayed in one place. Derek Jeter. Right. Um, but, yeah. I just, I worry. Because he's, he is, like, how would his quality of visibility be if he was in New York or in Boston? Where being in Anaheim, it's not L.A. and it's quiet and the reporters are gentle and there's no pressure. But if you're in New York... How crushing would that be if, you know, if he was a guy that just wasn't doing anything for his team in the postseason? Yeah, it's a different spotlight there. It's a different heat for sure. But, uh, I, I mean, I, what what can I say? I, I, I know. I, it's, 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 it sucked. It, it was tough to be there for four years and watch a player of that magnitude and, and not but get the, a chance. The thing is, it's not, like, it's not like he's a super talented starting pitcher who – always you know blows it like it's right. it, baseball is such a team sport it really is so it's not like it's yeah. it's not like you're looking at him as oh he's this incredible talent why can't his teams win it's there's so much more to it yeah he only gets one ninth of an at bat during the game he, he could sit out there and never do anything defensively because the ball never gets to him yeah he can't be like a, a Wayne Gretzky who can completely take over by never never even scoring but just facilitating a ton of passes to make good goals Kobe could take over a game. You know, it's one out of five now. Right. It's tough. It's tough to watch. Yeah. So we touched New York. You're from there. You're New a Long Island. Yeah, <laughs> Long Island girl. <laughs> Strong Island to you, Matt. Strong Island to you. <laughs> Was that, is that the lower back gang tattoo that yeah, you got? Exactly. An old, an old English <laughs> lettering across my shoulders. <laughs> that you just keep hitting. <laughs> Was how okay, so how was the life of a young girl in Long Island at the time? Was that fun? It was super fun. And, and, you know, people always say to me, how did you become such a sports fan? But growing up, like, I didn't know what it was to not be a sports fan. Like, my entire family loved sports. And I think, I don't know if it's more of a thing and part of the culture there, but like, it was just always on. My grandfather and I would sit at the kitchen table reading the sports pages together. Like it right. was like with multiple newspapers. He got every newspaper delivered and it was just, it was ingrained. Like it was the, the game was always on in the background and that was just life. Like I don't know what it's like to grow up in a house without sports right. constantly on and part of the conversation. Was grandma or grandpa or mom and dad, were they athletes, high school or college? And that kind of facilitated it would. It did. My yeah. My father played basketball, okay. but it did not facilitate anything. Okay. Yeah. And you've got siblings, right? Yeah. So no, they didn't. My brother. People say, oh, you must have had a brother that made you watch sports. My brother actually was not a sports fan until he got married and his wife <laughs> got him into it. You know how that works. Yes, honey. <laughs> and my sister. My when they're both younger, my sister is like a diehard. Um, sports fan, but my brother grew up on the West coast. My sister grew up on the East coast. Okay. So maybe that is the difference. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, and, and you're in a time the giants are on fire, mm-hmm. right? They're winning in 85, 87, 90. Uh, did that help? And then the Yankees get better in the nineties to just passionately just fuel fire for your love of sports. Absolutely. Because I saw how, and that's what I think as a, as a kid was 
intriguing. It's not like I sat there and watched a baseball game or a football game and understood the strategy necessarily. What I saw was the emotion and the excitement. And I, not just for the, the fans at the game, the players, but within my family, within my community, it was, it was exciting. And, and it felt like a, you know, it brought people together. And that as a, as a child is what I experienced first and how I first became a sports fan. And at the time, yes, there were New York teams that were doing very well. And I'll say this, I'll admit this on your podcast, 86 Mets right. was it like sucked me in. And I remember my, we were in my grandma's house. We lit candles and we were praying for the Mets. And years later, I know it's like, so it's, it's like a little bit twisted actually. <laughs> but like, but that's how diehard they are. Totally, totally. But then fast forward. And I, I, as I grew up and, and learned more and I learned about the Yankees history I became a Yankees fan. A lot of people hate when I say that, but I don't not root for the Mets. I love for the roots to for the Mets to also be successful. But I am a Yankees fan. But those Mets had characters. Sure did. I mean, absolute wonderful. You straight out of casting characters with Keith and Doc. I mean, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Dykstra, the the manager Johnson was a crazy man. The first time I cried on TV, I was doing Gary Carter's obit. And I don't know what came over me. I also cried this week with Vince Scully. Um, it's only happened a couple of times, and it catches me off guard, but I don't know where it came from. But the Gary Carter, maybe because it was like oh. a piece of my early, early fandom. I never really actually thought about it. I always just thought I was weird for crying about <laughs> Gary Carter. Because I, I, I had met him once, but it's not like, you know, it's not like I covered him or anything like that. I didn't know him well. Um, I had met him one time. But, yeah, it was, it's... They, they were a great, they were a fun team, the Amazing Mets. Well, he was, he was a wonderful human being, he, yes, too. Yes, yes. And he was the, the straight guy in that craziness. Yes. Maybe, so. yeah, but I don't think I realized that as a kid watching. I, I think it was just he was part of that crew and part of that, like, an early sports memory for me. Wow. We, I feel like we're in therapy right now. I know. We're going to relive we? 86. I, okay, should I get the tissues? <laughs> I have them right there. <laughs> Uh, but isn't it amazing the power of sports? That it is. Where you could sit and you and Grandpa are, you know, going over the New York Post and the Washington and the whatever and the Times and the all the magazines, and then Grandma and you are lighting candles, and it's like only sports does that. Yeah, it just sucks you in. It sucks you in, and you're like you're branded and forever you're that fan. Yeah, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. What? It's it's just a wonderful thing. I always say, like, for for female friends that don't aren't really into sports, and like, oh god, I'm dating this guy. He loves football. We have to watch football every weekend. And I'm, I say, you don't. Maybe you don't know, you know, first, second, third, fourth down, and, and and all the rules and everything. But if you learn about the personal stories, if you learn about, you know, the player that was living out of his car during training camp, you know, the guy that suffered like, you know, a season ending injury the year before and is on the comeback trail, like learn some of those stories and you will have so much more of an enjoyment watching the game, I think. You're absolutely right. And with your friends are those girlfriends, we'll, we'll, we'll analyze them like Freud, did they go to colleges with football teams? I have to think about that for a moment. Because if you went to Auburn, Florida, Kansas State, and that's the only thing in town, 
you go to the football game and you become more at least aware yeah. of how sports are in a, in a school. How, how vital it is to yeah. the culture. So to be honest with you, I don't have many friends that don't like sports in part because, listen, that's what I do in, right. in my, my free time. It's the industry I work in. I've met a lot of great people. But there's a couple. In work. There's a couple. Right. And the one that I'm thinking of, who's she's just this brainiac she went to michigan oh Jesus. <laughs> so she should be she should be okay. my theory's out the window she's got a well, bo listen. schimbecker tattoo on her back yeah, no she she doesn't but she does she likes sports and and she likes going to games and okay. you know but but she doesn't necessarily know but that's also because she just has a lot more important things yeah, going on. Yeah, she's just too smart. She's, she, she works yeah. for a company, and, and her title is like, she's a specialist in National Security Space Division. Okay. So right. I don't expect her to know no. about, you know, you know, quarterback, like QB1 and QB2. No. It's okay. She's not understanding the depth chart. She does not care one bit, and she's not up on the new rule That's committee. okay. Please yeah. protect us from aliens. Thank you very much. <laughs> She's sitting there going, can you believe Belichick went with a 6-1 front and shut down McVeigh in the Super Bowl? No. No. She's not going there. She gets a hall pass. <laughs> was was it coming out west for you a little bit of a, a, a shock, cultural shock? Oh, yeah. Right? Because being on Long Island, you know, you're in, you're in this wonderful world. You're a young girl. And then all of a sudden, plop into California of all places. Yeah. Well, my, my parents divorced when I was young. My dad was on the West coast. I was pretty bi-coastal growing up. I would go to school in New York and then spend my summers in California with my dad. And then once I moved to California, I reversed that. So I would go to school in Cal <laughs> in California and then spend my summers in New York. But <clears throat> it was very different to like get into school because I was going to camps and stuff in California. Right. So I had a couple friends, but when I got into school, that was where I was like, Oh, this is a culture shock. Cause in New York, I was in public school out here. I went to Catholic school and it was different. It was definitely different. I felt like in New York, at least for me, I was not like a girly girl. I didn't wear like short shorts and crop tops and right. I, you know I just and out here like I felt like the girls were a lot more like put together and polished and um you know so oh yeah I, I mean absolutely yeah it was they were just more more girly right um but it, it was cool I feel like it it diversified me in some ways you right. know like I, I learned to adapt and I think you are you are more adaptable at that age especially when people are saying say coffee say talk say dog <laughs> Well, I mean, were you that, you know, I had like bushy eyebrows and I wore baggy clothing. Like, I don't know, you know, I was, I was kind of nerdy, but I was also cool. <laughs> right. But like you were that carnival two you know, quarter put in and like say words for us. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, were the kids that aware of it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Because you were just, it was so alienated to them. Like it was just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I, I went, I was from Long Island and they're like, oh, did you have to take a ferry to the mainland to go to school? And I was like, no, it's not Catalina. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's a big place. Yeah. And also Catalina has a high school, which my high school played in sports because we were such a small uh, school, I, which I it was like, really? This is weird. I know. Okay. Who, where, where is that? Why is that school so damn small? I don't know. How do they even have a school? I was looking up, no, not Catalini, the oh, school you went school. to. Mary of the Sea by the Ocean, wherever the <laughs> hell. I, 
Mary Star, the sea. Like I was looking it up and I'm like, this is a big swath of land. This isn't like 1800. Why is that? Is it just because it's a Catholic school? I don't, I have no idea. It's, it's a small enrollment and there are other Catholic schools in the area. Yeah. So maybe that pulls from it. I, I, I don't know. I can't believe you guys played Catalina. Yeah. Did you go play softball in, in Catalina? No, I think they always came to us. I think they always had to travel. Because that's where the Cubs used to have their spring training. Really? Yes. Wrigley owned most of that. Wrigley, Wrigley Field, Wrigley Gum. They owned the Cubs, and the Cubs would come out and play in Catalina. Yes. Dropping knowledge. Yeah. I did not know that. They're still. You could take a tour. There's still the dorms, which the players stayed at. And the whole thing. Oh, but then who did they play? They would, they would either P guys would come to Catalina and they play at a little baseball field yeah. or they'd go across and go play there. Look at that fun fact. Yeah. So, I mean, I wondered if you would have played on that softball field. No, uh-uh. Okay. That would have been cool. No, I don't know if I played on any softball field, to be honest with you. Like I said, it was not that good. <laughs> you had to warm up on it. <laughs> Swing and a miss. Hey, you got, got to lean in. Take yeah, one. Whatever. And I know. It, not all of us can I'm be. I'm better talking about it than I am playing it. Not all of us can be gifted athletes like Mike Trout. Yeah. Bastard. Whatever. Um, what, high school for you, and you've talked about this, I've, all the research on your, that you've done, you've been very busy on podcasts. That was your like awakening to your career. Speech getting into it, the understanding of like, oh my God, there's a passion here. I had a teacher in 10th grade who, Mr. O'Keefe and, and then Mrs. Addison, who said to me, I want you to do some speech competitions with like the Lions Club and things like that. And I was like, really? Okay. Yeah, what did they see? I, I have no idea what they saw. Were you a yapper? No, but I mean, you know when they want you to read from the textbook in class? Like I was always right. like, I'll read it. Like I always wanted. Oh, you're that girl. I was that girl. Uh -huh. I, yeah, I was a good student and everything, but I, I, I will say, like, their teachers don't get enough credit because I had no idea. I would never have sought that on my own, but I did have a teacher who, who like kind of pushed me in that direction. So I, then I started doing these speech competitions and winning. And then Mrs. Addison was my academic decathlon coach, and you know, I was winning the medals in the speech portion. And I had these two teachers who believed in me and encouraged me and supported me, even though I didn't know that I needed that or would thrive with that. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. It's kind of, it's kind of a, it'd be interesting to see what they saw. Like just, uh, yeah. Reading from a textbook is one thing and every kid's kind of shy and doesn't want to do it. Yeah. But they saw something. Yeah. Not, and not just like, I need to fill a spot girl. Let's put you in. Like, no, this girl's got absolute potential long term. Yeah. And I, it's funny. I, I had actually kept in touch with Mrs. Addison up until about five years ago. We yeah, would, we would trade emails. And I, I'm not sure if she passed, but. I yeah, had, I heard you say that. It was kind of like, oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's probably uh, was at the point and she's in an age where. I mean, she, she had white hair when she was my teacher. So right. I, you know. But she could have only been 40. True. We don't <laughs> when, know. When we're 14, <laughs> everybody's old. I, I know. I, sometimes I die laughing. Like when I was in college and, you know, older, like alumni would come back and I'd be like, oh, they're so old. They're like 25. <laughs> you know, and I look at that like, I, I'm just, you have a different perspective, you know? <laughs> yes. Uh, absolutely. Especially like my wife and I talk about this later. Like, oh, the teachers, like they were so old back then. You look at them, you're like, 
my God, they're younger than we are now. Right. God damn it. Right? They were 38. <laughs> we thought they were like on Medicare. Right. Oh, Christ. Don't get me started on like the passage of time. It's, I can't believe it's August already. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out what happened at Christmas. What, right? I think... Um, Why does time fly? And it seems to go faster no, and faster no, no. every year. It's only because of the pandemic. I think we're, we, we, we have some like every third day we miss. Like time has flown. Flown. Just flown during the pandemic. Are we so in a time warp? I think so. That would make more sense. I got to talk to my friend about the space division, yes. see what she says. Get the smart one Maybe on. Maybe we're in some sort of alien vortex. Get the smart one on. <laughs> Everybody who's been vaccinated is moving faster in time, and everybody who's not slower. <laughs> so, like, we're at warp speed right now. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Was what was then your vision in high school? We're all kind of goofy, and we don't think like, "Oh, my path's going to be this." Did you have an idea that something, <clears throat> journalism, writing, was something you kind of enjoyed and seeing next? You know, I, I honestly, I didn't, I didn't know. And now when I've, when I spend time talking to like high school or college kids, that is something that I try to tell them is go out and get the internships and start to just put yourself in positions where you're exposed to different aspects of the business. If you think that this business is something that you're interested in, just so that you can see it with your own eyes and kind of get some experience, network a little bit. I had no idea. All I knew is that these two teachers in high school sort of pushed me into public speaking <laughs> and I loved sports. And right. I, I knew that I could, I was decent at the public speaking and I loved sports and that was a passion. And I thought, you know, maybe I should work in like sports television. And after I graduated college, I worked for Forbes magazine doing but, advertising. But, but didn't you do some announcing in high school? I did for the baseball team. Oh, yeah. hey, I, and Finn Scully. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, just like Vince Scully. I, you know, I, just, I, was Scully. At, I was on the PA system and I would play the music. So like, you know, Chris Munoz was number nine and like he'd come up to bat and I'd play like love potion number nine. Did like, you have an iPod or what'd you do? iPod? That didn't exist yet, you jerk. We, we, had, we had like a... What, cassette tapes? <laughs> yes, You're know. like an old DJ from no, the 70s. we had like CDs, but I... Yeah, I don't know how, I, and I just had like a list, and all the guys on the team were my buddies, you know, so it was right. just kind of a fun thing, and I like to watch the games anyway, so, and we, uh, Mary Star, they used to have this uh, ballpark, I don't remember the name of it, but it was overlooking the water, it was like, it was nice, it was not on campus, we had to like go, so it was cool, it was something, it was just something to do, and it was a way for me to, you know, watch the game and have fun, and it's not like I got paid for it, but it was just kind of fun. Oh, you should have gotten paid, damn it. No, I mean, or even a class credit or anything like that. Like, it was just, I was just doing it for fun. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it starts. It's little baby steps, and the next minute, no, you're... You you're... know what it is? It's the baby steps, and it's the reps, and it's getting comfortable. And I think, like I, like I said a second ago, like, just being in the shoes and getting a feel for it, like... Kids, go get the internship. Go just be in that newsroom. Be in that production office so that you feel more comfortable and you don't feel like a fish out of water the first time that you go in there. Right. Yeah. You were getting your 10,000 hours in. That's right. Wow. Malcolm Gladwell, right? So early. Look at you. <laughs> You're knocking a couple hours out before you even got to college. I don't know. Was your time at Santa Barbara a good thing? Was that a good opening, like, okay, career path? No, it was a great time. 
It's a it's a got a great view, great it's a school, great town. Place. I had the best time in college. I'd like to go back actually, but it, I don't actually think it did anything for career advancement or preparing me for where I am now. I studied communications. It was not a broadcast communications program. It was theoretical communication. Right. Um, so it wasn't like it was, you know, I was studying journalism or anything like that. I worked in college, but I did not work at the newspaper or the local TV station. Um, I worked. Why not? I, I didn't have a car. I totaled my car right before I went away to college. Well, and I, so I didn't have any money. Well, so I rode a bike for the first three years. Well, that place looks like Beijing. Everybody's got bikes Everybody's on that. Everybody's on a bike. And you're lucky if yours never gotten stolen. Well, you know. did you lose one? I think I lost one. Yeah, because there's bikes being stolen left and right yeah. there. And then they, they'd spray paint every bike black. <laughs> so, like, once your bike was stolen, like, you'd try and, like, look for it. But every stolen bike got spray painted black. So, there was no identifying. It was just gone. So you're a carless woman in Santa Barbara and you can't take courses because of that. Yeah. So, no, I mean, no, I worked on campus. Right. And then my senior year, I finally got a car and I started working downtown. Um, downtown Santa Barbara? Downtown Santa Barbara. Big, so it was like big. a, you know, like a 15 minute drive um, at uh, like the Eddie Bauer home store. Yeah. Yeah. So I would fold beds. At the end of every shift, that was the worst. If you had the closing shift, you had uh, to go around. We had like eight beds in the shop that had, you know, a hundred freaking pillows on them and all like <laughs> 10 different blankets. And you had to look at a photo and f make the bed exactly like it was in the photo. So that was like the worst shift to have. But I can make a mean bed. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of pillows. A lot of pillows. Uh. On my own bed? No. Okay. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah, just two. Yeah, two. That's all you need. That's it. <laughs> you don't need it to the point where it's halfway down the bed. <laughs> it looks pretty. Yeah. But Is that a couch? No, that's actually my bed. Let me move all the pillows out. <laughs> God. So if you had to do college over again and pick a different college, would you? Or would you just try to get a car? <laughs> I, I wouldn't do anything different. Okay. Yeah. I, I actually wanted to go to UCLA because I wanted that big sports program environment. Okay. I did not get into UCLA. I was crushed. Santa Barbara was my backup school. And once I got to Santa Barbara, I fell in love. Like my thought was, you'll go to Santa Barbara, start there, and you're going to transfer to UCLA. And I just, like once I got to Santa Barbara, I loved it. I, I thought the people were great. I loved going to class. I had like reef flip-flops, jeans, and a UCSB hoodie and like that was my uniform. Right. Remember, I wore a uniform in high school. So, so when I got to college, I would say my fashion game was not on point. And but it also didn't matter. Like no. people, it was it was beachy, it was casual, it yeah. was just like a yeah. chill vibe, and I loved it. So I would not actually trade anything. There's a lagoon. You could wear a swimsuit year round. Like the place is gorgeous. People would like bring their surfboard to class and prop it up on the side of the room and then go catch a wave after. It was, it was, a, yeah. it was a cool place to go to school. Yeah, not bad at all. Santa Barbara is a complete gem of a town. Mm -hmm. So what's your game plan getting out of college? My game plan, per my father's request, was get a job with health benefits and a 401k. Smart. And so I was like, okay, that's what I'll do. So my spring, like spring quarter, my, my senior year, I'm driving down to LA because I have a car now and I'm, you know, interviewing for jobs because I'm like, I'm just going to start working right away. And I, I ended up getting a job with um, a division of Forbes magazine doing advertising sales. I had a 401k and health benefits. Thank you, dad. But it was not the field I was in love with. But, I, you know, I didn't really know. I didn't really have that 
drive or like a, a vision of the path that I should be on. Um, it was cool. I, I worked there for like a year. Um, ended up meeting a, a couple at a wedding in San Diego. The guy worked at Fox Sports. The girl was a sports reporter in Green Bay. And I was like, you guys are living. They were a couple then. Right. Now they're married with like three kids. And I was like, you guys are living my dream. Like, that's what I always wanted to get into. And and they were like, oh, well, you know, stay in touch, whatever. So when a job opened up at Fox Sports, the guy messaged me and he's like, hey, send your resume over. Like, it's not an on-air position, but it's an operations assistant position if you're if you're interested. And that's what that was my first job in sports broadcasting. Right. Um, so now, and did, I still am in touch with those people today. Did you not think about that early? Like, in college, like oh, no, I I, I'll didn't. take anything, PA, anything? No, I just I wasn't exposed to it. And, I, and, and honestly, that's to my own detriment. I mean, listen, it all ended up right. working out. I worked in production at Fox Sports for eight years. I learned a lot about the business before becoming an on-camera talent. I think, I don't know, maybe my maturity would not have been where it needs to be to handle certain situations if I was like 23 years old and, you know, right. doing okay. my dream job, whatever. So I think it all worked out as it was supposed to. But nowadays, that's why whenever I talk to to kids that say they want to get into this business, I say, go intern, volunteer, work in your free time, whatever job they offer, you take it just so you can get in and sort of see, because I think that's the best way to, to get it, to understand it. Yeah. So, I mean, absolutely. You're, you spent all the years, those years understanding what it took to get to the point before the camera red light came on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is important where you're emailing people, you're faking phone calls, you got to track down talent cater all that stuff everybody just thinks that's magic and it just happens no it's a grind to get to that point and that's what i did i mean at, at fox i was working on best damn sports show in in the talent booking department and then i was the production manager so it was valuable to me and what i do now to see what goes on behind the scenes to put an event like that together to go and travel 60 staff to the Super Bowl, to negotiate the rates with the hotel, to secure credentials through the NFL, to, um, you know, deal with getting the PR people. Like, you, you'll talk, talk to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've got to get so-and-so as a guest on the show. We're, we're dealing with this celebrity. you got to fly on private from Canada to be a guest on... Like, all of those things, it was, it was just a... It was just a great experience. And on that show in particular, like we had so much fun. We had a great group of people and That's, there was it was a great show. Yeah. And it was just it was fun. And there was like there was no limits. Like if you had a great idea, like say it and it might happen. It you know, that it was wacky enough that they they would just try anything. And it was fun. Like people enjoyed coming on that show. That's where you got your first on camera online experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that a little shocking, like, oh, my God, this is real. I'm going to do some quick little interviews and no, early online. Not shocking, but it was, it, was, uh, it was a good experience, and it was a safe place because I knew the people, like, you know, I, I knew the drill. Like, I was interviewing the guests for the show in the green room before they went on set and did the real show, and we posted those clips online. And then there was a producer who would – go over film with me right he would watch the tapes afterwards and he'd be like well you know did you think your delivery was good right there did, maybe you think you should have asked a follow-up question there like did you feel comfortable so it was just it was a I was doing it on my own time and it was with people that I knew so it was a very comfortable environment but that is the smartest thing that you saw 
that opening and you took the time to practice because that's still practicing. Yeah, it was. That's exactly what it was. And that's good. That gets you to the next hours in the 10,000. Yeah. Was it, did you just absolutely put your teeth on that and go like, I'm all in. I'm going to, you know, take as much as I can from this. Cause you had that guy mentoring you and breaking down film basically. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's huge. That's what you should be getting. Yeah. It's, it's, and that's something that doesn't happen in the industry a lot. You know, I mean, no. you very rarely it, in really in all since then, I don't think I've ever had a boss or a colleague go over anything with me. Yeah. Since then, like you don't, you gen- generally don't get feedback unless you're really effing up. Right. Yeah. You've got to be a complete train wreck. Yeah. They'd be like, Oh God. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, you know, it's, and it's so subjective, right? Like every, everyone might have a different idea. Like, well, I, w- I wish that you did more of this or less of that. And nobody really ever tells you anything. Right. It's behind your back or they talk amongst themselves. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, he's really screwing up. You can't deliver that line at all. Tell him. Yeah. The love of God. Yeah. Were you absolutely devastated when that show like went off? Yeah. I, lo- I mean, I lost my job. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it catapulted me into the next phase. So really, it was like one of those things about like when one door closes, another one opens. Now, it didn't open for 11 months later. Right. But, but that's a scary 11 months. Yeah, because I wasn't making a ton of money. I didn't have a ton of savings. I, I just, I was sort of winging it for 11 months. And right. Yeah, it was, it was a tough time. Because it's one of those things where you're, you're fully committed to this job and you're not looking next yeah, I mean, I, I was I, doing those little segments at Best Damn Sports Show allowed me to acquire tape of myself. So I had a I had a demo reel, and I had secured an agent at the time. Wow. Yeah, I Rob Dibble's agent okay. was, uh, and who still I work with to this day, took me on as a client, and you know we were working on getting stuff, but you know I didn't have any real experience. Um, so when I lost my job, like we were still working on stuff, Figure I ended up going to Minneapolis and I auditioned for Fox Sports North. Okay. Um, they had me actually do a high school hockey game, which is a big deal in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. That's Matt. I bought hockey for dummies and read it on the plane on my way there. <laughs> Did not grow up. With, you know, Islanders and Rangers weren't really, I just wasn't a huge hockey person. So I didn't know. And here I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to go be on the air right now uh, and auditioning for a job that I really, really want. And long story short, I did not get the job. Um, I didn't suck. And I'm still friends with the guy who produced me that day. Uh, we still keep in touch. And it just, you know, <laughs> it was just, you know, I didn't get the job. It's okay. It's it's funny because you were only one or two at the time the islands or islanders are winning like four in a row so there's no way does that you know get into your dna and you become a hockey fan i just it was too much it was i was much more of a basketball and a football fan and hockey was the same time and i just you know so many only so many hours a day only so many hours (laughs) only so much one person can absorb yeah so door opens you jump through and you're good to go the next stage 11 months later, right? 11 months later, my agent had said the Philadelphia 76ers are looking for someone. Hi, Comcast. Yeah. And I, so I, I moved cross country, 
they needed someone quickly. I mean, it wasn't ideal. I, I think within, I went out and I auditioned and then by the time they told me I got the job, I had about 10 days oh to get God. out there. So I found a roommate on Craigslist in a furnished apartment. No, no, you didn't. I did. No, you didn't. I did. Oh. <laughs> it actually worked out beautifully. So first of all, I did are, you, are your parents alive at this time and they let you do that? It was so, it was so crazy. Actually, a, a friend of mine who I used to work with at best damn sports show was from Philadelphia. And he told me, Jamie, you better take the New York giants license plate frame off of your car because they will vandalize it. Oh, and when yeah. you start to talk to the Philadelphia people, you cannot tell them that you're from New York. You, you got to tell them you're from California. They're going to hate you if they know that you're from New York and they're going to like, shit on your car if it's got anything New York oh, Giants on it. Oh, destroy it. They will set it on fire. They actually probably would. With you in and it. And I'm like, stop it. I don't need to do that. He's like, yes, you do. So he gave me that advice and I slept on his couch for the first week that I was in town and then I got this roommate on Craigslist and I slept on an air mattress until my mattress arrived and I had like a little lamp that I bought at Target on the floor. It was just, I have a picture of it actually. It was, but you know, you do what you got to do. Yes. And here was my first opportunity to like live my dream. And it was just, I was so grateful to be there. And looking back, I'm, I'm so indebted to the people at Comcast that hired me and to the people with the Sixers organization who welcomed me. And like, I mean, I, I, I laugh now and I'm like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I got my foot in the door and I made the most of an opportunity. What was your responsibilities? I was a sideline reporter. Okay. Yeah. So, so what was, what was, are, are those responsibilities then different than today? Both with social media more involved and um, things. Yeah. Bigger. Like Twitter was around and, but it wasn't as much of a focus I think as it is now for people, but you know, it's, it's coming up with stories and it's, you know, coming up with hits for in the game. It's doing the interviews. Um, we had like a weekly magazine show that I would do some stuff for also. And, um, but I, I it definitely was, it was a unique experience and a unique time. Like I didn't have any friends that were there except for that, that one buddy who I knew from, from best damn sports show. And, and what about that roommate that from Craigslist? Yeah, so he was, but he was great, and I don't even remember his name, but he worked um, in Washington D.C. So Monday through Friday, he would take the train from Philly to D.C. and stay there, and then come back on the weekends and stay at his girlfriend's house a couple blocks away. So I, I basically ended up. I don't. I I am so lucky. Like he was never there, and I basically had the place to myself. Wow. Yeah. You could have been an actually a mystery podcast. Yeah, I could of, have, you know, I could be like my bones could be somewhere <laughs> in Philadelphia right now. We don't know, but I got super lucky. Oh, yeah. Okay, if you're listening and you're a young woman, please do not. And take... I think the cable bill is still in my name. <laughs> Ten years later, he's still he, you're you're paying for it still, or I, it's no, just, I'm not yeah. paying for it. But no, I think I got it for free because I worked for because you worked for Comcast. Yeah. So he's. Maybe he still has free cable. Good for him. Maybe him and his, his girlfriend, because they were getting married, they got, ended up getting engaged by the time I was moving out. It, it was a lovely experience. I'm I, sure I, it was. Yeah, yeah, I got lucky. I got very <laughs> you lucky. You got very lucky. I don't recommend finding uh, no. roommates on Craigslist. <laughs> on any list. On any list, yeah. Yeah. A sight unseen. My God. Was that opportunity at Comcast then with the idea that it's a long-term job or was it just to the season and we'll see where we go? It, actually, it was just for the season. That's frightening. Super frightening. 
but you know, you're going to jump, you're going to do it. You got to do it. And I had, yeah. So when the season was over, I was, I wanted to stay. I wanted to do more, but they already had their people that cover, um, the Phillies and the Eagles. And so I was like, okay, well I'll just go back to LA and then I'll come back for next season. When I came back to LA, the first week I started working at KCAL CBS. Now, how does that happen? My agent said, here's a meeting. And, and, uh, <laughs> during the, during the NBA all-star break, my year with the Sixers, I was, it was a, it was the break. I was going with my, my boyfriend who lived in LA. We we're going to go skiing. I'm not a skier. And my boss was like, don't break your leg. Tore my ACL. So I finished out the season with a busted ACL and a, a, a leg brace on. I wore a knee immobilizer. That's a sexy for the, look. Oh, super hot. Super hot. And I had to get all new shoes because I couldn't wear high heels oh. anymore. I had to wear flats. And I had to, like, tailor all my pants or buy new ones because all of my pants were for four-inch heels. So now they're, they're dragging right, on the they're... floor. So I, it was... It was a big pain in the ass, but anyway, I come back to LA and I audition at CBS KCAL with this, like, <laughs> I had already had the surgery. Dragging this leg. I had the Sixers team doctor do my surgery, so I had the surgery done, and then they put me with the Lakers staff to re- rehabilitate once I came back to LA, but I'm, I'm walking with a limp, and the boss at CBS KCAL, who's no longer there, was like, you're not going to be walking like that all the time, are you? And I was like, nope. Nope, just until I can bend my knee again. Thank you. <laughs> and by the way, have you ever had a surgery like that? Yeah. 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 The first time I could go a full cycle on a bicycle yeah. brought tears to my yeah, eyes. Yeah, you're like, I'm an adult. Yeah. And it fucking hurt. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Sorry. No, no. I had my uh, tendon worked on last year in July and it was the worst. The worst. Absolutely the worst. I like, And people are like, oh, you, you should go back skiing. I'm like, no, thank you. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Good. Yeah, I never want to experience that again. Where'd you tear it at? Uh, right here. No, but what? What? Matt, Mammoth, oh, Big um, Bear. I was like, right here. Yeah. This is the ACL, Matt. This, it's your knee. <laughs> we were in Sun Valley. Oh God! Oh, so my you God. weren't even home. No, I wasn't. Like even you home. weren't even close. And honestly, that was like another thing. So Sun Valley, the nearest airport, was Boise. Yeah. And yeah. a snowstorm was coming in, so we were going to get snowed in. And I'm like, I've got to get back because we have a game on Tuesday. I'm like, I cannot miss my flight. I can't miss work. So we had to go to the airport in Sun Valley. It's to, everyone's trying to get a rental car to drive to Boise. There are no more rental cars. My, my boyfriend and I find the last guy to get the last rental car. And we're like, can we please ride with you? He was so sketch. He had like this secret briefcase that he said had gemstones in it. And he made us both sit in the back seat. He had his briefcase of supposed gemstones in the front. And we rode in the middle of the night through a snowstorm to freaking Boise just so that we can get out the next day. Like that in and of itself was so weird. And I'm like, I think, and then I think we got to Boise and there was like a freaking NRA convention at the hotel. We're like at a, like a, you know, Homewood Inn or something like that. Yeah. It was just so weird. And I'm like, this sucks. And your knee thing. must've been thrive, just throbbing. It was, it was huge. So I, when I fell, I got up and I walked down the mountain and I sat in the lodge and ski patrol came over and they're like, did you hear a pop? And I'm like, yeah, I heard a pop. She's like, all right, that's not good. I'm like, well, I'm sure it's fine. I'm just going to ice it. I feel fine. Like it wasn't like, it wasn't an excruciating pain or anything. I'm going to go out and try again tomorrow. I'm from New York. It doesn't yeah. hurt. I, I'll, I could take this. Yeah. You so, got some duct tape. I'm good. Yeah. I'll just rub some dirt yeah. on it. So I put, 
I, I go back to the, we go back to our friend's house that night and it, by 9 PM it was massive. And so I went to the emergency room and they're like, good oh, luck. You tore your ACL. Like you're going to need surgery, yada, yada. So it was, it was just a big pain in the ass, but you know what? Athletes tear the ACLs all the time. And now I know what they experience. That's true. Then you have some good insight on when, what, what it's like, what it's like, yeah. but they don't wear high heels or at least most of them don't. No publicly um (laughs) that that was must have been one hell of a couple of months trying to like get a knee taken care of take get a job you're at home in kcal that must have been one hell of an experience in hindsight yeah it was and i was just you know but you just kind of sometimes you just have to have faith and you know you just have to do the best that you can just grind through it grind through it just be on top of your shit and you know, have faith that things are going to fall into place the way that they're supposed to. Jesus. So was the idea at... By the way, the boyfriend and I ended up breaking up shortly thereafter. (laughs) I, okay. After I moved back, actually. We're right, but I, I, at least thank God you had the boyfriend because getting in the seat with the guy in the gems and the bad leg, again, another podcast of mystery. Do you ever, this is such a weird thing, but like, do you ever think how many times you've been in the presence of a serial killer? Yeah. Yeah. There's quite like, like, oh wow, that was close. Yeah. Like, or I just, you don't know, right? Like you don't know walking down the street or sitting next to someone on public transportation. Like you, you don't know what people's stories are. And, And I have this imagination, right? That I'm like, he, that could have been Illegal arms in his suitcase. We you, don't know. You guys could again can be bones in the middle of Idaho. Yeah. Could have been bones in Philly. Could have been bones in Idaho. Yeah. Who knows? Right. I mean, that's if you think about it, you, you just go, "Wow, that was that was a good luck right there." We got through that one. That was a story. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> had you called up your grandmother and said, "Should I get in the car?" <laughs> no, sweetheart. Do not get in yeah. the car. Yeah. Don't do that. Not a good idea. Don't yeah. find a roommate on Craigslist. Not a good idea. All right. So, <laughs> two things, kids, if you're listening, we'll we'll have a an index at the end of this podcast on what to do and not to what do. not to do as you navigate adulthood. <laughs> well, thank God the uh, thing with the boyfriend didn't work out. Um was the idea with KCAL again another short term, long term thought, a fill in? What was your thought there? Um, you know, they actually had me audition for like three months. Good Lord. Yeah. And I'm still not. How on, bad was the limp? I'm still, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to say I was still pretty green. I didn't have like anchoring experience right. at that time. I was, uh, you know, in the field reporting. Um, what's the difference? <clears throat> Tell me, what's the difference well, between sideline? In, in a chair. To be honest, sideline is a lot harder, but it's looked at as a lesser role. But you have to really be reacting to everything as it's happening live. You know, um, it's, you have to be quick on your feet. Um, in this, in the anchor chair, it's a different skill set. You know, you're, you're hosting, you're, you know, tossing to commercial, you're kind of on your own. You, you have someone in your ear again, but it's, it's less like, okay, this just happens. Go find out what happened here. Like, th- you know, this injury, whatever. It's, it's a, a bit more of a controlled environment. Um, and, I, and you're reading a teleprompter, which is a totally different skill set. So that, that stuff was all new to me. How but was reading a teleprompter for you? Was actually, that- it was fine. Okay. Yeah, I think it was fine. You didn't do the question mark and you got... <laughs> no, but I had these news anchors at the time who didn't know much about sports and so they oh. would read 
the beginning of my segment. And so then they would use that when they would toss it to me. So they'd be like, Jamie, you know, Dodgers on the road facing the San Francisco Giants uh, looking to take, you know, the, the fourth game of the series. And I'd be like, yes, that's right. And the person scrolling the teleprompter would like not get caught up. So I would be like, yes, that's right. The Dodgers are on the road in San Francisco looking to take the fourth game of the series. Cranking the wheel. Let's go. Like, I, you know, it was just so funny. Oh. And they did that to me almost every time. Um, these two women and I don't know. It was just, you know, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. Uh, what, when you're on the sideline, what sport is the easiest and the hardest to do sideline reporting? Baseball's the easiest. Okay. It moves the slowest. Yeah. Well, that molasses. Right. To do sideline reporting. Yeah. The hardest I think is football because you have to, I did NFL for four years and you have to, there's just a, there's a huge roster and the playing field is larger. Right. And if something's, you know, you can never just cross over the middle of the field in, in basketball or baseball or court for basketball, obviously you have to like walk the perimeter and go around the edges. And like, you're trying to look for your, the PR person as your contact, you know? So I, you stand on whatever side of the field, you feel like there's more storyline because you're watching for players, body language, you're trying to overhear things. And there's just a lot more ground to cover. Not to mention, you're also dealing with the elements, you know, wind or rain or cold or whatever. Um, What's the worst you've been in? Seattle. Uh, I did a football game, Seattle Seahawks, and it was, oh no, well, I did a playoff game in Denver one time that, but I was, it was a a game on CBS and I was working for Fox, so I didn't have to be on the sideline the whole time, so that wasn't that bad, but when I got onto the field at the the last couple minutes of the game, you go down in the tunnel, you wait to go on the field, it was so cold, I, I couldn't even get my question out because I was my teeth were chattering. Oh my um, goodness! Yeah, it was a playoff game. It was when Peyton Manning was there. Uh, but anyway, that was cold. But in Seattle, one time it was so damp and so cold and like raining. And I was on the sideline, and I remember flying home after the game and still thawing out once I got back to LA. And I and my ears football too. It's so loud, and and that twelfth man is a real thing. Like right. Seattle is loud, so you crank up the volume on your earpiece really loud when you're in a live game setting and I feel like especially football. And so like my ears were still ringing hours later (laughs) for sure. I'm going to go deaf by the time I'm like 52 because it's like, it's just, I think, you know, at least in one ear. Well (laughs) now for, for live sporting events, I use dual and when I'm in the studio, I just use one because you don't have to crank it up in the studio okay. as much. Right, yeah. Yeah, but I'll use the dual earpiece when I'm out at a, at a live event. So are you starting now or are you going to wait till it starts to happen to learn sign language? I'm, I'm probably going to learn now, actually. I should Get a jump now. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it looks good <laughs> no, on the I'm resume. Gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to learn sign language. I'm just going to make everybody in my orbit suffer. Huh? <laughs> What'd you say? Say that again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing like a deaf New Yorker. Ble- by the way, bless my mother's heart. Like she has been having a hard time hearing. And my sister and I were like, mom, please go. And you know how old people are stubborn. They well, don't want to do really? it. Really? She's like, I'm getting my 
hearing aids next week. We're like, yay, good for you. She's not resisting it. So many people resist it. Right. Well, it's As embarrassing, older, right? It's yeah, embarrassing. Like, I know, but I, God bless my mom. Like she's she's embracing. She's this. all in. She's all in. I want to wear I, little headsets. And it's gonna. I think I'm like it's gonna improve your quality of life. You'll absolutely. you'll understand what's happening more. You'll be able to engage more. Anyway, I'm not there no, yet. No, no, but. You keep cranking up the volume in the cold weather in Denver. Huh? <laughs> you and your mom can share batteries. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you get the rechargeable ones, Jamie. You charge That's them. the way to do it. Yeah, at night, yeah. you just let them charge next to your phone <laughs> and everything else. Then you wake up in the morning, you put them in. And, oh, boy. Slippery slope. Yeah, it it's is. It's fun getting old, huh? No. How's the knee? You know, the knee is good. So if I noticed if I am doing a lot of physical activity – it does start to tighten up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But other than that, it's fine. Well, that's a good segue for physical activity because I'm doing my research. And I see you diving in the pool with Gabby and Laird. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Really? Those two? I mean, I those are... Okay, first of all, is he real? I've never met him. I've seen him. Did he's, you touch him? He's real. And he they're both awesome. Yeah. They're like awesome people. Um, I've dealt with her. She's a wonderful she's person. She's wonderful, but she fucking scared me because she's just a badass. But she's she, she, she was she's taking on his bad. She wasn't like that early in her career. You don't think so? No. What well, she was an elite athlete. Yeah. But she's absorbed a lot of like his Superman powers. Yeah. Like he's not human. I feel like neither one of them are. And now she's not. She's bonkers. And they're both just like. First of all, I show up to their house and for the shoot, right? And they've got, you know, I'm like, I don't like just go knock on the door. I got there super early because I got, you know, I didn't know what the traffic was going to be like. And somebody's like walking up and they're like, oh, you, are you here to work out? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm doing a story with Laird and Gabby. Oh, come on in. I go in and it's like a who's who back there. Oh yeah. Right? Like it's a who's who of the Hollywood scene and, and athletes and whatnot. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. Like, it's this like is, they just go to their house and work out and they yeah. use their facility and they've got this little like group of people. And it's like this little community, which was, it was really cool. But then Laird's like, do you like coffee? Do you want You want a cup of coffee? And I was like, actually, I, I, I do love coffee, sure. So he makes me this cup of coffee, and he's got this, this Laird Hamilton creamer that he uses, this powdered turmeric. And I was like, this is delicious. He's like, you really think it's good? I'm like, yeah, no, it's, it's great. He's like, this is my new thing. And so and I have it in my kitchen now. I still use the Laird Hamilton turmeric yeah, he, creamer. He's all in on that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it works, but it, it tastes good. And, you know. He takes it. He takes it. It's working for him. Yeah. Yeah. What a body. Both of them. My Bo God. Both of them. And they're just so like, that's their lifestyle, right? Like they are so dedicated to health and wellness and, and physical health. And, you know, they train like Navy SEALs and this yes. whole like XPT life. And I'm like, okay, I don't need to do that. But I was in, Gabby had me, she was like standing over me in this ice bath. And I'm just like, you better be cool. She's right there. She's watching you. <laughs> like, don't freak out. I'm like, I'm good. No, this is cool. I'm good. And then they go in the sauna. And I didn't realize, like, I learned after the fact, some people will wear, like, little hats because your ears burn. And I had on a necklace, and my necklace was, like, starting to get hot. under Because I know you were wearing, like, a, a bib or, or like, yeah, a... Yeah, because what? I'm like, what do we do? Go to their house in a bikini? Like, I, I, I wore, like, She a, is? 
Like, I, well, everybody else was. And then I, I felt like the weird one that was showed up in clothing. Like I was wearing shorts and like you're a totally. long sleeve shirt. Because I didn't, I'm like, you know, you're you're doing it for TV. You're showing right. it to someone's home. I'm like, and then I get there and like everybody's in like, you know. G-string bikinis. Suits. Yeah, yeah. The guy, yeah. And you're like, I'm in my mom outfit here. Yeah, we're totally. Gonna, we're doing aerobicize at the yeah, Y. Yes. Yeah, that's how I felt. After so, I felt very so, dirty, very, very dirty and out of place. You pulled it off. Thanks. So how was that process? Like, what was the pitch to do that? Was it to do something about their lifestyle and their... It was, well, about this this kind of fitness lifestyle that they have, XPT life. And, and they take people on retreats and it's about you know, sort of pushing yourself, not just physically, but mentally. And that's where like the Navy SEAL stuff comes right. in. Like you can do more than your mind thinks that it can. So push yourself to those limits. And, you know, they're training underwater with like holding weights and you're, you know, holding your breath for long periods of time and going from the ice to the heat, to the ice, to the heat. And I, and that, I did that story, I think like five years ago. I, it's definitely right. more mainstream to be doing that now. I, I feel like they were sort of, it was cutting for yeah. edge for them way and, and, ahead of the curve. And Gabby said, you know, we as, you know, because of our, who we are, we have access to all of these people and methods and things like that. Like, I think that they, you know, Wim Hof, he does the Iceman, he does training like that and has been doing that for a long time. So they're like, we, we took all of these people that experts and, and th that we're exposed to. And we sort of like grab the, the best pieces of all of those things. And we, we put them into this like package to like train people and to sh share our knowledge and access with people that are curious about it. So. Was it in uh, Kauai? Did you go there? I wish. What do you think? CBS has a budget? No, I went to their house up in, in Malibu. Malibu, yeah. okay. Because yeah, I know their place in Kauai, is the it looks just like the same. Right, they I have was the like, same if you routine. guys want to do a follow-up story when you get to Hawaii, just let me know. I'll come out. I mean, I like you leave there wanting to be friends with them. Yes. You know what I mean? Like Because they're just, they're, they're so freaking cool people. They're so cool. They're endearing. Yeah. They're wonderful. Yeah. Like I did something on her a million years ago and, and she was just like, at the end, it felt like I've known her forever. Yeah. She was, it, they were fantastic. Yeah. But, Okay, so how was that physical process for you? Were you shocked and taken back, or did your body kind of get used to it? Because I watched you, and I was like, wow, you're all in. Yeah, I was all in. Um, I didn't do, like, the entire – I didn't do, like, an hour-long workout with Well, that. no, I, I'd be afraid you'd be at the bottom of the pool yeah, holding those dead. weights. Bones in Malibu now. <laughs> but it was uh, – it, you know, I went through parts of it and we did, you know, we did it for TV. So I didn't actually go through a, a class or a program with right. them. So, but it, I mean, it's, it's tough. And I, back to the knee surgery, when I was done with my time with the Sixers, I did a trip to Hawaii with my family and that boyfriend. And we went snorkeling in Malakini, Malakai, no, yeah, Malakini. Malaki I think okay. it's Mal the, the little crater yes, island yes. where and the boat takes you out yep. and they drop you. And I got in the water with my busted leg that couldn't bend. And so basically I've got one leg that can kick and, and I'm, and I'm out there and I'm like, holy shit. Like if there is a shark attack, I can't do anything. Like I got I have one bum leg. I'm a one legged woman. And I realized I have this like mad, I never had acknowledged this. It was probably always in existence, but I do have this mad respect for the ocean and for water and like, you know, in this situation, I'm in their pool. Okay. It's not, it's not dangerous, but just that, that, you know, it's, it's a different world. Right. And some people are really comfortable there. I am, I love the water, but being in it like that, I have respect for it. Yeah. That it, makes sense. It, no, it's crazy because what he does in the water and the way they train 
And if you feel busted up, whether it's a knee or a shoulder or anything, like you start to feel it like, oh my God, I'm a one-legged person and it's weak. Well, and you're just like under the water, like looking around. I'm like, there's no land anywhere. Scary, huh? Yeah. And the boat's back there and like. It's like that horror story where the, I think it was in Australia where the couple, they did the boat count and they miscounted and the couple got left snorkeling out in the reef. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's a what the fuck for sure. Yeah. You, you guys pop up and you think it's like, oh, hey, boyfriend. Holy shit, where's yeah. the boat? I'd be like, you know what? I want my money back. <laughs> yeah, I saw that and I was like, that's a shitty way to go. Did they die? They did? Yeah. I don't remember that part. I think I blocked that part it's out. It's kind of like um, the perfect storm. You know, the story right up until the point and then the rest of it is, yeah, that's kind of how it, yeah. Let's talk about something else. Well, we got bones in the Malibu. We got bones in, <laughs> bones in Australia now. When you're doing those kind of fun stories, how much control do you have? Do you have an idea of like, okay, this is the kind of story I want to set up? Or is it kind of like day in the life and let it set, you know, work its way through and you guys kind of piecemeal it? You ha- well, you have to have a game plan when you go into something. A plan of attack, a, a, a line of questioning, what you're hoping to accomplish, what you, you know, what information you want to get. And in that situation, it was kind of like, all right, we're going to have you jump in the pool. You're going to, you're going to go through some of the process. You know, you'll interview Gabby and Laird. You talk to them. Sometimes though, like you just have to adjust on the fly and, and things present themselves and you have to be willing to, to break from whatever you have scripted in your head and kind of roll with the punches. But generally I try to, and you're also not trying to shoot like, hours of video right, because you're, you're on time to edit this down to like a three minute package or a four minute package and you know you're no one's gonna like you if you you're like hey guys here's you 17 know, minutes yeah, of- well or no i mean 17 minutes is is that's probably my average if i do an interview it's like seven I, I try to keep it less than that because or around that but if it's i mean an hour like your editor is gonna just punch you like you know right this is too much. Do you ever get, okay, so it goes, let's say three minutes on the air, but then they say, oh, there's a second cut online and it's the nine minute version. Yes. Yeah. We do that now. Um, a lot. Okay. We, Cause TV we, didn't used to do that. No. And I never figured out why. Yeah. Online. On, let it go. If you want to do the hour online, let Lair just ramble on for an hour. I mean, yeah. we got it. And actually we did not do it that for that version, but we, we do that more nowadays now yeah like I, I sat down recently with robert ori on that like the anniversary of his his shot against I the saw that Kings. yep and we i mean that could have been like an hour special same thing i did something with james worthy on the you know he was the last number one overall pick that the lakers had and for the anniversary of his being drafted we we did this longer form interview that everything gets cut down to like three and a half four minutes for tv but the you know, 10 minute version, 12 minute version lives online. Why was TV so slow to adapt to the internet? I don't, well, I don't know. Maybe because they resisted, like they felt like this is what's going to replace us eventually. I don't know. I always felt like that's a, that's a good question. That's a good place to live uh, afterwards. And you can either put it on YouTube or your own channel, server, whatever you want to do, but there's no time constraints and it lives forever. Cause mm-hmm. once you're broadcast at 11, 11.25, it's done. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, ultimately you're trying to drive people to watch the TV. show. Right. But now they're also looking at like views online and there's like a metric in that. 
Yeah. So. And then the next day you can, they, they can say, hey, if you missed the story last yeah. night, here it is online. Oh, here's what I'll promote. Now we're also doing the Sports Central podcast, um, which we are sitting down and we're doing a podcast like this and it's living as a podcast, but we're making, there's a video element and we'll take like, you know, three minutes and make it into a package for TV. Right. Too, so. I saw that. It's constant for you. Yeah. You're just spinning plates all but over the place. that's what it is. Like, you, you, you wear many hats, right? right? Like, it's, I mean, and that's always been my my calling card. Right. I'm not a sideline reporter. I'm not an anchor. I'm not, you know, I, I do all of it. I've always. You're, you're I, a Swiss Army Swiss knife. Swiss Army knife. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be a buck knife. You're a great Swiss Army knife. What What's a buck knife? Is that, that hunting? That's just, yeah, bigger knife. One thing, one big blade. Yeah. Doesn't do anything but just kill. No, not you. Not me. You can flay a fish. <laughs> you can... Actually, I cannot flay a fish, <laughs> and I, I've never done that. And I don't know if I'd be able You've, to. Well, okay, you got a I've Phillips never, screwdriver. I've never baited a hook. And I've never caught a fish. God damn it, this is embarrassing. You've never caught a fish? I've never caught a fish. And I, I love fish. I eat fish. I like, can, that's probably what I eat the most see, of. I can see water from here. But you know what? It's the whole process. Like, I just want it to be... Done. On the plate with no skin and no bones and no eyeballs. Just... I don't, want, I don't want to see how the sausage is made. No, that's a great way to get outside and... I love, love boats and I yeah. love being out on the water. I love a fishing. I've just never caught a fish. I've tried to catch fish. Not recently. There's a lot of athletes that are like big time fishermen. Yes. Like Paul George loves fishing. I should be like, guys, we need to send me and PG out on a fishing trip. That's what I should do. One of my favorite photos is in 2012. The Cal State Fullerton baseball team is in Oregon to play in the regionals. Mm -hmm. And guys put fishing rods in their bags. And one of our off days, a bunch of guys went river fishing cool. in Oregon. And I've got them out there fly fishing, like, on an off day. And they were calm and peaceful, and it just brought them down. That kind of activity goes so far in creating chemistry and camaraderie. And it, I really believe in stuff like that. Right. And when, when coaches, you know make the teams do that. And, you know, that that's something that in this whole like pandemic experience where it's like frowned upon to be social and to interact, <laughs> like, you know, be, I, I, I just want, you know, wonder how detrimental that was because people need, especially teams. And when you're competing for the common goal of winning, you know, to, to have a day off where you spend it on a boat, you're fishing together, or the, you know, right. The, the, the Clippers who, who I work with now, they, they'll go out and do like paintballing or, you know, the something. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it goes it's a long way. Huge. It was huge. It was funny. It was like five or six guys. They were out there fishing. Nobody says a word for 90 minutes. They just make eye contact with someone caught a fish, put it in their bag, throw out their rod, do it again. It was just like the best 90 minutes of their lives that day. Yeah. They were just happy and peaceful. Yeah. And All it right. just it takes you away from looking at the X's and O's. And we got to catch you a fish. You yes. got to catch a fish. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. a, it's embarrassing. Yeah, we Don't go, tell anyone. I, all right, we'll keep it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so when we met, you were a year into what, this is where I first saw you. I had seen you the year prior working for the Angels. So mm -hmm. I first see you and I'm like, oh, familiar face, because I didn't have Comcast in Philadelphia at the time. How was your experience or time now being a... I guess you call it a sideline reporter for the angels, but really there's no sideline. So you're like a well reporter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how was that? It, it was, <clears throat> it was 
awesome. Like being on a beat and being with a team, um, you know, like when I, I was doing NFL stuff at the time also, and you are going to a different every weekend, right? Yeah. And, and I was fortunate. Like a lot of times I did a lot of like NFC West. So you are seeing some of the teams over and over okay. again, but a lot of times you're, you're, it's two new teams and you're, you have to familiarize yourself, but being embedded with a team and being around the guys every day and you get to show your face and they get to know who you are and, and you get to have a, a, a rhythm, you know, and, and sort of like a, what, what uh, Especially with coaches, you get a synergy, you understand. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's just, all of that I think is beneficial to the, to the job and the experience. Um, I also, I mean, I love being out at the ballpark. My favorite thing is BP Yeah. and that you too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the sound. I, I love the sounds of the game. Right. Even when in basketball, which, you know, I'm doing mostly basketball now, like being in the gym, not necessarily on game night because there's so much other crowd noise, but getting there for like either practice or shoot around and just the squeaks on the floor and the, the bouncing of the ball, BP, the quiet, like the faint music in the background, the crack of the bat, you know, the, the tapping of the bat on the cleats. Right. It's just those. I love it. I love it. I love when there's no one else around and you just feel like you've got this front row seat to seeing these, these athletes who are the best at what they do. It feels like such a privilege to be in that space. No, it is. It's amazing too. Cause you really at that point, you watching them practice their craft. Mm -hmm. Normally when they're at batting in a game, there is no practice. It's mano a mano. You throw that pitch. I try to move my hands and make that bat go through here. They're like working on inside out, trying to drive to the other opposite field. It's like, wow, there's, there's, practice in here and you guys are absolutely skilled at mm -hmm. what you do mm -hmm. i have no clue what the hell i can accomplish that at all yeah when you're covering like a team like that how much of it is reactive where you're trying to do some investigating work where you're trying to find like a story or an angle or is it just do you let it come to you how much work do you put into that i mean a lot of what you do is reacting to what happens in the game that day there's also you know when you're working as as a team partner essentially right. you know if someone's got some incredible stat you know or hey like they've been doing this really well like you want to and in TV, like you want the visual component, we'll put like a graphic on the screen that shows that this, these percentages are way up this month or something like that. So you, you, if I, if I know that someone's for basketball shooting the ball really well this month, you know, I'll talk to that player. What is it about? Like, how, what have you changed in your right. approach or at practice? What are you working on at shoot around that, that's, that you think has allowed you to, to kind of open this up? Or you talk to the coach that's been working with them on that. And so that, those are the sort of things. And then, you know, I mean, sometimes it's like the stuff that they do in the community or it's the fishing trip that they take or the, you know, that kind of stuff that you, so you, it's, it's all of those things. I can't necessarily break it down in like percentages, like this much as that. And, but it's, it's sort of like all of that you have to sort of, be, you know, your head is on a swivel and you're, you're taking that all in. Cause it was one thing to see you on TV, your segment, you come in, you get back and forth, you get thrown back up to Gooby or Victor or whatever it was. But to watch you for that year, like you were busting your hump working pregame game and then post game. 
it wasn't as easy as I think people think it is. There's a lot of work. It, there is a lot of work. And you and like you do, you have to have your eyes open. And, and you, you know, as a sideline reporter, you really are like the eyes and ears on the field or on the court. And, you know, I'll get in the mic and say to the, the director, hey, you know, so-and-so just walked there. They're having this beautiful moment with a fan in the corner. Like they, maybe they don't have a camera on them, right. you know, go, go to the far East corner. And, and so-and-so is, is, is like hugging this kid right now. Get that visual. It's so, it's so precious. Or so-and-so is, you know, kicking and punching the walls. Like we just saw right. them tweak their ankle and now they're going back and they're pissed off about it. Like get a camera on that. Cause you, you know, all of that stuff is is stuff that maybe the, the you know we have I don't know how many cameras at a at a game dozen but yeah. you've got you know it's all kind of you're all working together so that's the sideline reporter really needs to be the eyes and ears on the ground floor as to what's going on no it's it's big it's one thing because that guy's fixated on the batter or the pitcher but you can wander and see like oh I see something going on in the dugout that maybe you don't see right. or I heard right. or I overhear. Or even if it's something as simple as like, you know, Kawhi Leonard is on the bench and he's sitting next to the rookie and he's you could see him breaking it down right now and he's in his ear and he's giving him advice and, you know, cool. Like That's a cool thing to show on the camera. And then it's something I might want to ask the rookie about. Like right. what was Kawhi talking about in the second quarter? You know, what, what advice was he giving you? And then maybe that's a story. You're with the Clippers now, but how was it during like – Ugly part of the pandemic when you're trying to, were you even allowed to be in the bubble in Orlando? Or I was not in the bubble. And the pandemic was really, really hard for what not just sideline reporters do, but journalists because right, like, you're doing Zoom interviews, right? So everybody's on one collective Zoom interview. And so let's say, let's say I, I saw... I saw something at practice or you're not even seeing anything at practice anymore. Right. Yeah. Cause you're not at practice. You're literally getting on a zoom and, and it's one player and then however many reporters and we're all getting the same information. There's no pulling someone off to the side. There's no seeing the body language. There's no seeing what they're working on. I mean, it was, it made things tough and, and, you know, to my employer's credit, like they kept the train rolling and, you know, we all kept our jobs, but the day that the pandemic like the Rudy Gobert game. Right. I mean, I drove home from work crying like, all right, I'm not working for a while. You know, games are canceled. Practices are canceled. Like, what the hell are we going to cover? And fortunately, at, at CBS, well, it was pretty newsworthy. And now this player tested positive. Now this league made this announcement on how they're going to proceed. So the news engine is when there were no games and there was no practices – and no media availability, the news engine kept me busy work-wise. Did you feel like you became, you changed hats from sports reporter to news journalist? For sure. It, I mean, for sure in the sense that, like, listen, Matt, I chose sports because I don't want to report on hard stuff. Like, sports, right. it's entertainment, it's fun, it brings me joy. I think it brings the viewer joy. And all of a sudden, it became heavy. And I remember like a point during the pandemic when I'm like, I will be so happy when I don't have to say coronavirus, COVID-19, COVID, the virus, like, you know, because right. you also like you, you're looking for a hundred different ways to say the same word that you have to repeat over and over again in your, in your newscast. And I was like, I will be so glad when this is no longer part of it. And here we are a hundred years later, still talking about it. <laughs> well, okay. Um, 
Like, I never thought of this. I grab a mask, I go. Were you someone that thought like, oh God, I have to wear this color mask with this outfit? I didn't or, care. You didn't care? No. Did you just go, I'm fucking basic black? Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really didn't care. I, I do have like one mask that had like sparkly things on it, but I, I don't think I ever wore that on air. I, I was just, the paper masks are more comfortable and more breathable. Right. Um, they also, I think, get my voice out better because there, you were right. wearing a mask on camera for a while. And the thing is that the, as you were talking with the mask, you're moving your jaw. So the, the mask would get pulled down Slides and then your down. nose is exposed and you're getting a text message. Hey, you, when you're on camera, you got to make sure your mask is on right. I'm like, well, I was just talking. And so the mask moved on my face. But, it, you know, it was a thing. And like nobody knew what the hell was going on and right. how contagious. And, 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 and I'm not, I was never an anti-masker like we're all just trying to like push forward and get things back on track. I'll do whatever it takes. If you need me to wear a mask on camera, I, it's fine. I don't care. But that, you know, yeah, wearing a mask in, in some of the first games at Staples Center, media dining, we all had to sit outside. They had tables where you would sit on opposite ends like you were they would have these like 12 foot long tables oh and you, one person and it was a box meal. You know, you grab and go box meal and, you know, but it was in right. You made it work. And the, the news person inside of me feels like it was actually really cool to live through the ex experience from a news standpoint, because what a bizarro time in in history to to live through, you know? Yeah, no, I just thought like from the women's standpoint, like obviously my wife did not was not on camera, but. She was more worried about her makeup. For someone like you that gets hair and makeup done every day, you'd be thinking like, oh, Christ, I got to wear this damn mask. I'm on camera. No, it's, it was beautiful. I only did my eye makeup. Right. So now you're, <laughs> yeah, now all of a sudden you're like, it's like you got your burka on. You're just yeah. worried about the eyes up. Or like I've got a zit on my chin and no one knows. Ha ha. <laughs> I'm 13 again. Nobody yeah. gets to see it. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, you know, I mean, it wasn't comfortable. It gets, no. You know, it's, it's not Did ideal. it feel like it changed your voice? Cause you're no, I found myself trying to enunciate more so that I would be less muffled, but it is what it is. You know, you just, everybody's in the same boat. Right. That's weird that we kind of got used to people sounding a little odd for two years. Yeah, we get used to like, we put zoom interviews on TV, you know, oh, at, at first I'm God. like, I'm like, this is shit quality. This isn't going to last, but here we are. And, and, and there's the, you know, a pros and cons to that as well, because now I can literally do an interview from home. Like before I'd be like, Hey, when are you going to be in LA again? We'll, we'll bring a camera to your hotel or your, your house and do an interview. Right. And now I'm like, Hey, we can grab you wherever you are and you could do it from your cell phone if you want. And I can do it from my, my kit. That's where I do my zoom. Right, right my here. kitchen table. Kitchen I don't have table. an office here. So <laughs> I see the ring light. Yeah, exactly. Um, I thought the one thing you, I saw, my research that you did was absolutely cool other than hanging out with the uh, crazies in Malibu was you got to actually play polo. Yeah. How was that? It was, it was really neat. I love horses and I love being out in like the open spaces like that. And I, I hear you're a great golfer. So it must've been a yeah. very easy for, no, did I, for? I, did no. I miss? I, I, yeah, I you thought, got that wrong in your nose. Oh. I mean, I, li I like playing golf. I I'm heard not, us open invite. Was yeah, that not sure. what I heard? Yeah. Putt, putt, US open. <laughs> putt, putt. Yeah. Was that cool though? Yeah, Riding was. on the it horse. Cool. And I, I, yes, it's cool to be on horseback 
honestly, the coolest part is the people and that family that I got to interview. They're just amazing. So that's the part. And like Laird and Gabby, like obviously they're celebrities, but they're cool people. I love the people that I get to meet. I love that it switches up my office. You know, one day I'm, I'm in Laird and Gabby's backyard. The next day I'm on a horse on the polo fields. It's, it's a, it's fun and it keeps things fresh and interesting and different. And I, I just love that. I get to meet different people. That's my favorite part of what I do for CBS. It's, I love that I get to, I feel very privileged that I get to travel on a, on a team charter when it, whether it was the angels or the Clippers, I get to be around like pro athletes. Like it's a dream job for a lot of people, but the best part for me is when you get to meet like regular, regular, folk. regular folk that have really cool stories. And, um, it's just, it's super rewarding. How did you do playing polo? It was, it was, so <laughs> they, we used, they brought a wiffle ball. So I guess no, a normal ball that was used in polo is much heavier. Uh-huh. So I used a regular polo stick and hit the wiffle ball. So I made contact most times and I was able to get the ball to go some distance, but they do that for practice and, and whatnot. But normally it's a much heavier ball and I don't know how far I would have made the ball travel if it was a regular ball. How are you as a horse rider? It's something I've only done like a handful of times, but I I really enjoy it. And again, like the ocean, I have incredible respect (laughs) for the horses. I really do. I I, I dated a guy in college um, who, who was around the racetrack, around thoroughbreds. And, you know, we'd go at five in the morning to Santa Anita and go on the backside of the track and be around the horses. And, and they're just, they're incredible creatures. They are very powerful. They are very strong and they're, they're just beautiful. You know, it's, it's a really a special environment. So I have this kind of appreciation for the horses to get on them again. Like I'm like, you can get really hurt, yeah. you know? So it's, it's Christopher Reeves, right? Yeah. Like, yes. Like I'm not trying to be cute and, and pull some tricks up there. Like I am on this horse. I am respecting that the horse can, can make, I'm, I'm not trying to do anything to be flashy. Like it's, I was totally impressed. I'm like, okay, you're on a horse. You had your little hat on your boots, your pants, the whole, the whole thing. But I'm like, you still got to swing the stick. Yeah. You got to lean over a little bit. I told s- them, give me the oldest, slowest horse that you have. He was kind of low. <laughs> was, I mean, it, your feet weren't dragging, they, but. They said <laughs> that she was, she was an older horse and she was calm and, and everything. I'm not trying to get on the young buck and, yeah. and prove anything. Like, yeah. give, me, give me the old lady that, that's, you know, had her day in the, in the right. sun. Yeah. Um, so She's it was. Slowly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she was like, what was her name? I forget her name. I wrote it down somewhere. Um, but it was, so it was not, we weren't going great speeds. They, they, they play go at speed and they're bumping into each other. We weren't doing that. We were, you know, learning some of the rules of the game and, and learning how to swing a stick. And by the way, the next day my arm was so sore because the stick is relatively that's, heavy. That's what I was. And you're swinging it. And I kept my arm down the whole time holding the stick down and I looked back and the others like the professional riders when they're resting they bring the stick up and they sort of rest it on their shoulder but I my arm was extended the whole time holding it so it almost like after golf like when you're like oh shoot I didn't realize I had these muscles in my forearm (laughs) it's kind of I had that feeling where I was like oh I'm a little bit sore from my you know half a day on horseback playing polo right I was thinking like 
yeah, I'm sure they didn't give you the full ball, but still, you had a swing at your shoulder. Like, God, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, it, hey, I have decent hand-eye coordination. Yes, but you're on a horse. Yeah. And it's moving, even if she's old and she's missing a leg. It's still yeah. Kudos. I, I I was surprised that I got the hang of it, and they they were impressed too. They're like, "Oh, great! You did a great job. Like you had you made contact. You were able to do it. Maybe you missed your calling. Yeah, maybe I did. The fat guy, the boyfriend. The w- then the, the women are are playing polo now. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever seen polo before? Or been to Will Rogers yeah. before? Only only once or twice, maybe. We used to go. It's beautiful. It I love beautiful. it. It's so and that's nice. what I mean. It's you're you're outside again. It's like the sounds, like the the horse, the the sound of their their the hooves, hooves. The running. Yeah, around. it's beautiful. Yeah, it's My, really beautiful. There was, that's what I loved about Santa Anita. It was the sounds and it was the smells, the tranquility of being on the track at five in the morning when there's hardly anybody else out there unless they're they're working. Right. You know, on the on the the stable. It was it was really a, a, you feel privileged to have that access and to have that to be a witness to it. Is there any story in Santa Anita you'd like to do? Because I love Santa Anita. I love Santa Anita too. We go every Christmas day after an opening day and yeah. the whole thing. It's, oh, it's the best. I've been to many a track, many a race. It's um, so forgotten. It's a beautiful place. It's beautiful. You know, the, the women dress up and they wear hats and my wife loves it. You know, she gets to look great. And yeah. It's so- fun. Um, no, but there's um, there's a jockey who I'm, I'm friends with. This is actually a funny story. <laughs> So when I was with the angels and I was getting a new car, I was like, do you guys have anyone that you would send me to that you trust and, and you like? And it was the, the BMW dealership in, um, or in Newport, Crevier. Okay. And I, I go there and I'm like, can I say his name? Sure. I'm like, Frank Oliveris. I'm like, I know you. I'm like, I dated so-and-so. And <laughs> it, they were family friends. He was a, a retired jockey who now was working at Crevier, which I think is a different name now. But... I'm like, oh, you, the angels sent me to him. He used to ride horses, knew my ex-boyfriend's family very well, and I still get my cars from him um, to this day. Like, he's just a great dude. But, uh, yeah, he's a retired jockey. And, uh, no, I don't have any stories, but I last time I saw him uh, was in December, and his daughter is working at TVG, and she works in the business, and she's on camera. And I was like, tell – so I connected with his daughter. And I said, if you guys ever have a story, let me know because I'll come out and, and cover it. Right. So, yeah. Well, the the real question to that story is what happened to the boyfriend from... We're still great friends, and he is very successful. He's still in horse racing. He's got a company where he um, pulls investors' money, and they buy horses, and, like, I mean, I've seen him on TV, like, after the Preakness in the winter circle, you know? I mean, it's... He's, wow. Yeah, great, great family, great people. Have you ever thought about getting into the horse racing on camera? Or is it's that- my dream. Like, I want to do the Olympics, and I want to do just one leg of the Triple Crown. Just one. Like, I would love to be the reporter on horseback or not, but I've never been to the Kentucky Derby, the Belmont, or the Preakness. I've been to those tracks, but not for those events. And that, plus covering the Olympics, is like my my bucket list as a broadcaster. 28. Yeah. I just have to work for NBC. No. NBC has both. I know. The Olympics and the the Triple Crown. Let's get you to Paris now. That's next year. How do we have... Is, is anyone listening to this that could help you me? You need to talk to your agent, not on a podcast. <laughs> That's your agent. <laughs> how much of the Olympics, like how badly do you want to do that? It, I mean, it, it's just something I think would be a really cool experience. I've never done it. I'm, I'm one of those people that I want to, 
you know, I love to travel. I love to experience new things. I, I love to, you know, not just check the box, but, right. but to say like, yes, I've experienced that. I've been to that country. I've, I've done this. I've, you know, whatever it is. And I think to, to be, you know, the Olympics is, it's the world stage. It's to me, it's, it's, you know, it's the Super Bowl of the world. And so that's why it's, it's so appealing. So it's not, but it's not like, you know, it's not like everyone gets to do that. It's, right. it's hard. You've got to be, you know, working for the right people at the right time. And so it's not like I'm going to feel like I've, I've, you know, missed out if I don't get to do it. But I, I do hope that one day I get to. What are your, like, what are then your white whales? Like, okay, you want to do a World's Cup, a men's World Cup, like in Europe? I'd like to go as a fan. Yeah, that's awesome. That I've was also that. like, like broadcaster me wants to cover the Olympics and to cover the Triple Crown fan me wants to go to one of everything right i want i want i'm dying to go to f1 i'm dying to go to an f1 race and now like we'll have three in the you know united states plus there's the race in mexico and i think one in canada so you know there it's it's that's feasible and i plan to do that in the next you know year or two it's expensive but yeah it's i want to go to one of everything i just think it's cool to experience and like to see things and i've actually never been to like a nascar race either okay so but see i think those things like you have to go where the genesis of it is like i think doing the men's world cup in the u.s would not be the same if you're when you cover like i covered it in 08 in germany but you're going all over that country and it means a lot more to them where here i still don't think soccer is like anywhere near the fever pitch of europe yeah that's fair so like f1 would be that kind of same thing or if you covered it in europe that would be like outstanding mm -hmm. kind of experience would did you how much of the super bowl did you cover last year being it was in our hometown i was in the studio okay yeah so well, that sucks yeah but you know i mean <laughs> yes and no i mean this same thing with the all-star game this year. It was at Dodger stadium. I was in the studio covering it from that angle, but I've probably been to like eight Super Bowls. Right. So, you know, and same with the all-star game. So it's not, you know, tell me about you did an, a tear jerking interview with Joe Torrey. Tell me about that. Did you tear jerk? It was pretty good. Yeah. You know, Joe Torrey for me, is, you know, I, I loved him as the manager of the Yankees. I, I loved him managing the Yankees after nine 11. Um, you know, I, to me, I, he's just, I've, I loved his, his presence and he was stern and he was, and he's Italian and you know, all of that. I just, but when I found out that he had this foundation, um, safe at home and learned that he, grew up in an abusive household I, learning about that side of him endeared him so much more to yeah, me yeah and the fact that and I didn't know until I just interviewed him recently that he didn't come to terms with that until he was just about to manage the Yankees it's something that he you know kind of suppressed for many many years and here you are this like functioning adult in this, you know, demanding world and for him to acknowledge it so much later in life and then to turn it into something positive and to help people, I just blown away. Yeah, by he it. had to be what in his fifties by the time he was managing <clears throat> the Yankees. I meant to go look back at that. Because he had managed the Cardinals. So I mean he wasn't like he had been around a little while. Yeah. He played. 
And he said he'd gone to some like seminar where it was about like healing and, and all of a sudden he's like, it just opened something up inside of him. And he was like, whoa. And it was this, he said he's like crying in front of all these strangers. And, you know, I mean, you look at him and, and when you're watching him in the dugout managing a team, I mean, uh, he hasn't done that in a, in a few years, but, you know, he has, he's a stern presence, right. no nonsense kind of guy. Yeah. So to hear him be so vulnerable and to reveal that, I, I, I think it's just, it goes a long way in helping people that maybe need to also open up. How was that for you professionally? Like you're trying to keep it together, but then like you're, you're, you're seeing this person who you've seen as a, from a fan's eye, like, is that, is that tough or how does that work for you? No, it's not tough. And I think, you know, I've been, I've been doing this long enough now. It's not, I don't get too starstruck, but for me, that was one of the more special encounters I've had in my career. So I'm not going to downplay it and be like, oh, right. it's just like any old interview. Like, it, it wasn't. Because of the subject, it made it, I think. Well, because of the subject, for sure. But also because of, like, I I loved the Yankees so much, especially when he was at the helm. So it w- that part of it, too, was, was cool. Right. You know? Yeah. W- it, I just saw it, and I thought, boy, that that is... You really, he really opened up and said something that's got to be really, really hard to talk about. Abuse to your mom, you know, and he was such a young kid and he took him to be well into his adulthood to actually come about it. Yeah. And, but to to then create these safe spaces for people so that they can get out of that environment. And something I didn't realize, which I thought was amazing, because I also interviewed people that work for his foundation. They also take in the abuser. If it's like a bully at school, they they will try to, his whole thing is educating. Okay. Educating so that you can learn how to communicate through it, how to defend yourself, how to avoid it. And also they'll take the abuser and help them learn you don't have to act this way or treat people this way or speak this way or, or deal with your... Cause the person who's abusing yeah. is doing it because of a reason also. Right. So help them identify what that is and give them the tools to handle things in a, in a more healthy, productive way. No, that's great because otherwise if you don't, you just let that monster run free. And all you're doing is saving the victim at that point, but you've still got to control that monster. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, we just lost, and we talked about it you know, in the very beginning. We just lost Vin Scott. When did you get your first chance to meet him? I met Vin um, in the press box at Dodger Stadium. Um, I think it was, so before I came to the Angels, I was actually the Dodgers sideline reporter. Mm -hmm. And it was at that time that I I met Vin in the, in the press box. And, you know, because where his, he's working is right by where all of us are. Right. And he came, sat down at table with like me and some other peons and chatted. And I was, I just was blown away. Like here is this absolute freaking legend who's got stuff to do. Like he's getting ready to get for a game. And he just sat and talked like a total normal human being and was kind and gracious and genuine and sweet. And I I was like, I love this man. Like I cannot believe that I just had this experience with Vin Scully who you know, I grew up in New York, but at, I came to out here for high school. So I'd been in California long enough to really know 
and appreciate him right. uh, for what he does. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, listen, like I said, I, I cried for Gary Carter, and then I cried on the air with Vince Scully. And, and you know, by the end of the night, and we're on the air talking about it so much, I, I pulled it together. And it, but, but, you know, cause yeah, it's tough. you're sad to see a legend go, but 94 years, I mean, he had a heck of a career. He was so well-loved um, by everybody, you know. It, I mean, think about it. He was working up until 88. Yeah. 88. Right. He had it together. Yeah. And then he still got another six years after that. I mean, wow. Yeah. Holy moly. It's pr- pretty special. And, you know, you just, you're sad to lose someone at right. such a... a, a massive part of of sports history in this town but he you know it was a beautiful life and we're lucky to have had him and and i'm glad he wasn't you know it wasn't something tragic and sudden and you know 94 is beautiful and his wife had died you know a year and a half ago and and they were you know he's reunited with his sweetheart and right you just have to be happy about it yeah I, i met him the same way i had met him uh, do covering Dodger games and you, you see him and stuff, but we're same, just almost same scenario as you. We're 13 with the Angels and their freeway league series interleague. He comes and you know how it is in that seating area. It's just open space. Mm-hmm. Sitting there with Jordan. Jordan has left his space to go get something and he, Mr. Scully just walks up and says, Is there a space available? I just took Jordan's tray and moved it over. Absolutely. <laughs> Please sit down, like, sir. Santa Claus just walked into the room. Yeah, yeah have a yeah. seat. And he sat with us. Like, yeah. he didn't know us from anybody. We're dressed in, in angel attire. We're wearing red. And he didn't sat down. And the whole time, he wanted to know about us. Like, <laughs> he's amazing. asking us I'm like... Don't talk. Don't ask me who I am. Like, I, I, just talk stories. Just say stories. Just say anything. Talk. Let words come out of your mouth. He was unbelievable. In not, I'm not going to name names here, but over the course of my time working around pro sports, I've also met people who you're like, oh my God, they're so-and-so. And then you get somewhere near them and they don't even want to look you in the eye let alone say good morning to you. Right. So when you have someone like Vin, who not only like sits at your table, but is asking you and then says, nice to meet you, Jamie or Matt, you know, you're like, holy, like, what is, you remembered my name. Yeah. 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 And he did that with everybody. Yes. He, it wasn't like a one-time thing, you know, it's just, that's who he was. Right. Which is just so special. Yeah. I mean, so I think it was that's in 13, and then we see him next year. Like, you remembered my name? We had a 25-minute lunch. Yeah. Now, granted, Matt's a good name you can guess, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but it was like, holy crap. Yeah. Like, they don't make people like that anymore, and I wish there were. And I know, I'm sure we can hit the unrecord button and name the exact same 20 people who are like that, but... Not him. He was the absolute gold standard for either mm-hmm. being a person, being a professional, and just a master of his craft. Mm-hmm. All of those things. Is there anything like when you're around someone like that that you try to like nitpick and take from and utilize? 
I know your thing, what you do is a little different, but maybe if it's research or telling a story or hitting a word the way he would. Mm, I ha- I have to say no. Um, probably not. I you know, and I I wasn't really around Vin in his the way that he worked and the way that he prepared. I remember just being around like some of the people at Best Damn Sports Show and, you know, Chris Rose, Mm -hmm. who was the host, and he was always prepared, showed up on time. Like he really did the work and also was a sweet, kind person and, and, you know, a very extremely approachable. And I, and then I also experienced people who were not that way. And I thought, you know what? I, I think for me, there's going to be people that know more. There are going to be people that are, you know, more attractive or, you know, better suited or whatever. But as long, all I can do is, is be the kind of person that people want to work with, be prepared, show up and know what you're doing and be kind to the people around you. Treat people nicely, treat people fairly. That's, that's, that's kind of all, all I can do. And and that's. What do you do to still stay ahead? And do you like still, I guess, practice or study or what? What is your, I guess, keeping your sh- yourself sharp? I think just staying on top of things. Like, you know, there's, and, you know, right now I work for three different companies, right? So it's oh. a lot of stuff to be on top of. Yeah. Because um, it's not one specialty. Um, so it's. Just, I think you just have to be on top of stuff. You have to be current and just know what's going on and, and I mean, you know, are you, have, pay, are you paying attention to trades right now? <coughs> well, yeah, you have to, Hi, I mean, yay. some, you know, big names, but specifically for the ones that are on, you know, involved with the teams that I cover. Right. Who's going, who's coming, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Jesus, there's so much to juggle. Well, yeah, but it's, it's my job. Like right. it's, yeah. I, and you have to, it's just part of it. Okay. So then on the business side, how is that for you to be, freelancing the three and juggling those it's exhausting yeah yeah it's tiring i mean it, mu- it must but be. it is what it is and it's it's like that's that's where i'm at i'm not on a contract with one certain place that says you can't work other places you know working clippers and tennis channel are seasonal opportunities cbs is the one that's year round for me it's just it just it just is what it is like and i'm not the only person who right. who has to you know go about it this way but for me it's not ideal i enjoy variety i enjoy that each one is like a different skill set and sharpens different knives but it's you know i mean it'd be nice if i i could say oh i only do this and i'm an expert at this who would who if someone can call right now and say, okay, the job's yours, where would you want to go? What would you want to do? I think I would want to do, ultimately, like an HBO Real Sports. Okay. And be able to work for a company like HBO and a, you know, a, a well-established program that people want to do. You know, people are... They know the name. They know the brand. There's a budget. Mm-hmm. You have resources. You go to Hawaii instead of Malibu. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, just be able to tell, like, those long-form stories. I right. think I just, I really enjoy that side of things, but it would be great to, you know, do it a little bit more high profile. Do you feel, like, so, would you want them to be more, like, 
back in the day when like Kenny Maine did stories for ESPN that were funny but interesting? Or I do you want to be like straight, straight? No, I, th- I would love th- the variety of it. I think I can do both. I think I can do the, the you know, talking about, you know, domestic violence with Joe Torre, but then I can also, you know, go mess around on a, on a polo grounds riding horseback and cracking jokes. You know, I think, I think that's what makes it fun is the variety of it and being able to do it all. All right, well, we need to get that damn agent to get uh, HBO yeah. on fire. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Jesus. Or, or like CBS uh, 60 Minutes, which is obviously, you know, stricter right. news coverage. But, and and I don't, that's not and what I want to do is, is the hardcore news because right. I it, I think I have a weak stomach for a lot of that stuff. Right. So. You don't want to be jaunting around Ukraine right now, dodging landmines? No. 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 And I just think it's heartbreaking. I think the content itself is heartbreaking. And and we touched on that before with like the, yeah. you know, when you're talking about like COVID constantly, it's like, you know, and people are suffering and it's, that's hard for me to talk about on a regular basis. Right. Like, okay. So we just said it was a great way for Vin to go, right? His wife had passed. He had done his time. He got time. He'd seen his, he had a very good life. But then someone like you and I know with Kobe, absolute, yeah, absolute out of nowhere for us, our generation, it is our Kennedy moment, right? You hear our Mm -hmm. our parents say, where were you when Kennedy got shot? I don't think it's an LA thing. I think it's a, it's a U.S. thing where people will either in Seattle, Kansas, or, you know, anywhere else would say, oh, I remember that Monday when I heard. Like that's one of those things in business where our our business just thrown upside down. Yeah. What was your day like that day? Um, <clears throat> I was in Orlando with the Clippers, and we were getting ready for the game, and I started getting like text messages. And first, you heard like, you know, something bad happened. You know, Kobe and his entire family were on this helicopter, and. I got on the, the bus to go to the game. Yeah, so it's like, what, 2 or, th- two or 3 o'clock? <clears throat> yeah, so on the East Coast. Yeah. Because um, we were in Florida. And, you know, I, one of our um, security used to be with Kobe um, and, like, spend off-seasons traveling with his family and, and protecting them on vacations and stuff. And I looked at him, and he's just he just shook his head no at me. And I, I got on the bus... <laughs> And I just sat there crying. And Montrez Harrell, um, who's not not on the team anymore, but he went into the bathroom on a bus and grabbed me, like, a massive roll of toilet paper and just, like, brought it and handed it to me. And I just sat there, like, crying. And then Doc Rivers was coaching the Clippers at the time. Just such a an intelligent man and, and someone you really want to hear in, the, in moments like that, um, you know, listening to him and I'm just holding the microphone and crying. And I, and I, that entire game, I'm, I'm, I know I looked like hell. My face was swollen and I had just been, I couldn't help myself. And then I, we ended up winning and I interviewed Kawhi afterwards and again, crying, cry a lot, the f- <laughs> cry a lot on TV, but it was just, I just, the entire, are like, you a good people, crier? No, ugly crier. Uh, yeah. Very, very dramatic. Okay. Uh, the entire flight home, you know, people are just silenced. They're, t- they're like small conversations. People are in shock. The entire flight home, I remember like I cried hard uh, on the plane and, and 
for days after. And um, it just, I was just in a, it was heartbreaking. Why do you think it shook you so much to the core? Because it's like so that? tragic. And, and, I, and I knew Kobe and I right. covered Kobe and I feel like I grew up with Kobe, you know, and I, like I, I was living in LA when Kobe was becoming Kobe, becoming Kobe. Right. And, and like, you know, and, 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 you know, I got to cover him at the end of his career and I, you know, it was just, and it was just so sad and so, so sad. And it was, it was a life cut too short. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, it's amazing. I can talk about it now without crying it, because I couldn't for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I feel for his family and I, you know, the, just the entire thing was just heartbreaking. Here was a person who was so incredible and gave so much all to one city, entire career in one uniform, gave so much, finally retired, finally was able to influence other areas you know went and, and won an oscar and right. you know and you're like you now you get to be incredible at the next phase and he was just getting started and his family's girls finally had dad right you know and and to have all of that take it was just just devastating just devastating and and he was like superhero status like that's not supposed to happen to your superheroes right especially that way yeah like that's not what you expect yeah. it was um it was an interesting day. It was like one of those days as a parent where, so I'm covering golf and somewhere West Covina or something, and I have my youngest with me. And he's only with me because he wants to drive golf carts. That's it. That's the joy of the day. I get to drive golf carts. My phone's on vibrate, and it's just going bonkers. Like one after another. And he keeps telling me because he's in charge of the phone because I got to shoot. He's like, something's going on. You're getting a lot of text messages. I said, are any of them mom? That's all I'm worried about. No. Okay. Who is it? I think something happened with Kobe. I was just like, what? And then so over like an hour, right, the details start to unravel. They're still kind of shady. And he had never done this up until then. But I'm driving, and he puts his arm around me. Mm. Yeah. And it was like his parenting moment. And it was like, oh, wow. And like I knew when he did it, I felt it. It was like. Wow. It was his way of saying sorry, but not saying it because I don't think he had that in him yet. But that was all he could do at a 12, 13. And it was like, okay, so you and I are always going to have this like golf moment. moment. It was like, wow, that's mm -hmm. where I learned it. And we joke because we have one of our best hot dogs ever at this place in the golf course. But it was like, we'll always have that in our industry. It's very interesting how we have these relationships with people i mean i don't know how familiar you are with Bontrez harrell but he's he's a bruiser you know yeah. he's kind of a tough guy and for him to be the one to go and grab me not tissues but like a massive roll of toilet paper because he saw me crying on the bus and i was not like sobbing i was just sitting on the bus uh, you know in my own row with my head in my hands you know, wiping quietly, right. because quiet, when you're on the team bus, like I'm, I'm quiet. I don't talk on the phone. I don't, you know, you're quiet. Right. You're in their space. And he just observed me and that was his way, you know, and it was, it was, a, it was very tender of him. This, this generally like real tough kind of abrasive guy. It was a sweet, tender gesture. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the veil was removed and he saw he's human too. Right. He's human. And, and he understood. Yeah. That she needs this. I can do this for her. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's interesting how things like that strip us down to like the very bones of I can help her feel a little bit better in this moment. And I know why she's hurting. Yeah, because yeah. I am 
hurting too, but I'm using my sleeve. <laughs> I'm still a boy. I'm using my sleeve. As much as my mother told me not to, uh, yeah. I'm still wiping my nose with my, with my Lakers jersey. Where where do you see yourself in the future? Like, do you want where do you want to be in a year? You still want to Ooh, be in a year? Yeah. Like, right? Because in our business, it's fast. It happens fast. We joke what happened to like in a year, a million things can change. We're hoping we're back. Things are not mass COVID vaccine boosted 12 times over. Where do you want to be in a year? I have to figure that out. Okay. I don't know exactly where I am open to change. And I, I, I know that change is part of life. I just don't know exactly where, and I'm someone who's always had the, the vision kind of in front of me. Okay. You know, I've, uh, once I started getting into this world, I knew what I wanted to do and I, I'm living my dream right now. What is my next dream? I got to figure that out. Okay. I, I got to figure that out. But I hope that along the way I continue to grow as a person. And I think that there's always like, we are constantly morphing. I, I never think I'm always right. I, I feel like there's so much to learn. There's, not just intellectually, but, but spiritually and emotionally. And I think we have to always be evolving into a better version of ourselves in order to move forward. Right. You know? So I, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know if that's like too hippie. No, but no, I, but that's our business. Career wise. I don't know, but also, you know, I've learned that your career is just one piece of it all. And it's not the most important. It's not the thing that identifies you or defines you is what I meant to say, but it's one piece. So it's one, it's one part. I don't, I don't know exactly what that looks like a year from now. I just hope that I'm growing and getting better as a, as a human. Right. How have you been able to, and it's, it's an unfair situation, but how have you been able to, to deal with your personal side? of your life, your relationship sides when like you're at a studio until midnight or yeah. like, how has that been for you? Cause I know when I was with the angels, God love my wife. I don't know how she put up for four years. She was a trooper because getting home after midnight and being gone by 10 AM, it's a grind and on the family. Well, in baseball, especially, I mean the schedule it alone, there's oh. so many games and, and long road trips. Baseball is particularly tough. Yeah. I don't know. I, I honestly, I, it's, Knowing what I know now, and I say this to the to the high school kids and the college kids, you want to work in sports because it looks cool and it looks glamorous, but there's so, A, there's a lot of incredible opportunities to be involved that are not on camera. You see on camera, but there's so much more right. happening. So that if you want to work in this job, like the on-camera stuff, it's hard, it's very competitive, all of these jobs are competitive, but there's a lot more to it. You have, if you want, if you're just, if you love sports and you think being at the ballpark every day would be a dream come true, there's a lot of different ways that you can make that happen. But I also say in sports, when does sports happen? They're, on, they're at night, they're on the weekends, they're holidays. So if you want to work in sports, there are very, very, very few jobs out there that enable to you to work Monday through Friday, nine to five. Yeah. Very, very few. Can you name me one? I, I mean, like it's just, you know, like a morning talk show that, okay. but then maybe you, you're getting up at 4am, yeah. you know? So it's, 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 it's tough. People don't realize that, but 
it has. I mean, it, I think it has impacted my life, you know, and it, I remember also early in my career feeling like you better say yes to everything. You don't want to miss an opportunity. And and there was, you know, some friends' weddings that I didn't go to because I was like, I, got, I was offered a game. I got to go. I have to take this. If right. I don't, they're going to find somebody else, you know. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more at ease at this point. And I also just have a different value system now. Mm-hmm. So I my priorities have shifted. I mean, I'm still very much career-oriented, but I feel like the life side needs to be nurtured as well. Right. How have you, because, you know, as a free agent, as you are now, a freelancer, how are you controlling your brand, right? You're a brand. How do you, how do you put that out and, and, and sit there with your agent and say, okay, I want to do on camera or I'm, I'm not going to do radio or I want to do long form or I, I, do, I don't want to do this. How do you control? It's not that specific targeted it's it's not that like fine-tuned and mapped out maybe it should be but it's but it's not for me it's more about uh you know it's lifestyle where do you want to live like what are you willing to do and you know be honest with you I don't know that I'd get back into baseball full-time because it is it's it's so many games I mean if you look you know because you lived it if you look and I tell people this look at a baseball calendar if you're working on one with one team you might have two days off and if, if you're expected to cover every game you might have two days off a month and those are travel days you know, like it's, right. it's, it's, it's tough. I remember when I was with the angels, I ended up taking a game off to do laundry. <laughs> like I had, I just, cause I, I was living in an apartment that didn't have a uh, washer dryer. Right. So, you had, so a I ghost. had to go to a laundromat and you can't like, it was, you can't do laundry overnight. you got to get your stuff out of there. So anyway. Oh, but, <laughs> but that's real. That's real life. It was real. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was the, Freaking game that Trout hit for the cycle. And no! I was pissed that I missed it. That's the game? Yes. I was so pissed that I missed it. In 13, yeah. 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 Yeah, that, I, I, yeah, that was a good game. Well, you know. I, I, <laughs> There'll be others. There'll be others. Maybe. <laughs> if his back is, gets any better. One of my coolest memories, though, with the Angels... Uh, and, and Trout specifically was he, we were in New York and he was doing a shoot on the top of the Empire State Building. And I got a picture with Trout on top of the world. And it was, and I have the photo and I'm like, this is a really cool moment. I just, I, I have much love for him. I, I respect who he is as a person and as a player. And here we are, I'm with this iconic player in this iconic location, like literally on top of the world. And you have that photo too? No. Were you there? N- no. But, yes. yes, because somebody in the PR firm said, we don't need that photo. And I said, wherever Mike goes, I need to go. And they said, no, no, you don't need to go there. That's he's in a federal penitentiary right now. So <laughs> got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. No, no. You don't say no, you don't follow. Andy and Bernstein. Man, I wish I had your quality instead of like my Blackberry photo. You know, like it, the quality of the photo is like a little bit grainy. Right. It's like, you know, Andy Bernstein. If Kobe would have gone, you go. Trout goes, you go. Right. I always wanted to, like, he goes to Children's Hospital, you go. He goes to do something like that. I think there was a day CJ Wilson went to go do something for MLB and they're like, nah, it won't be anything. No. You go. 
course you go. You go. And you just never know what's going to happen. You right. Know? Yeah, it was it was great. CJ, of course, killed it and made everybody laugh and signed pictures and everything. And like uh, they had these air cannons that shoot shirts out and they were having a little fight. And it was maybe the best photo. Yeah. That's what everybody loved. And also, I think, I think it says something to the player when you show up. You know, we were in um, Atlanta playing a game and we had the next day we had off and, you know, some people went out and they had some drinks. But the next day, Lou Williams was having his jersey retired at his high school and I wasn't working. And they they were like, you don't have no, you don't need to go. No one else is going to go. But I went and I got on the bus and like the whole team was there and the staff was there. And, you know, Lou saw that I was there. And I didn't have to work. I didn't have to do any interviews, but I wanted to be there to support him. And and also, how often do you get to see that? How often do you get right. to see this incredible player, like six man of the year, a couple times over, go back to his hometown and, and have these kids? Like, it, it's just a beautiful thing to, to experience and to witness. And um, it's it's part of the job that I love is, is, that, is that access and, and to be able to go kind of behind the scenes and see stuff that... You know. Well, you said it, access. It's the best thing that we have. Yeah. We get to see things people just don't know about. And then we talk about it at a cocktail party and everybody goes, Oh, you got That's the greatest so cool. You got the greatest yeah. job ever. And you're like, Yeah, but uh, I didn't get back till three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why I gotta go now from this cocktail party because I'm on the air at eleven. Yeah. One cocktail, that's it. <laughs> I can't thank you enough. Uh, this was fun. It sucks that I haven't seen you in so long. But uh I do have to ask one two questions. Sure. Okay. A what is in the water? Because you haven't aged at all in eight <laughs> years. <laughs> What's your second question? <laughs> okay. Best Giants team, New York Giants. Who's your favorite? Oh. Best one. I'm going to say it was the, I grew up loving the Lawrence Taylor and they won. Uh-huh. And I remember being a little girl. Uh-huh. My mom had this plastic pantyhose container and I, I, I used it as like a shaker and Those I had egg this, ones? yeah the egg one and I had I I was a kid I sure. drew like New York Giants in red and blue and I put it in there with like a necklace that I had that had broken with beads and I made it like a shaker and I watched the Super Bowl like that I was like oh Giants I was a kid I didn't know anything I just freaking love the Giants so that was like those I love those teams but the Michael Strahan stomp you out. I don't know if you remember, and Tom mm-hmm. Coughlin, mm-hmm. fucking love Tom Coughlin. Those <laughs> those years and winning the Super Bowl, the first one against the Patriots, um, oh, with seven. with David Tyree and yeah. the catch, like that was the most improbable. And I was at that game, and I it was just it was I also cried for about a week after. <laughs> Every time they played like, you know, a radio call or something like that. Anytime I heard any part of the broadcast or an interview, I just cried. It was the most magical, like the Patriots were undefeated that season. Right. And Michael Strahan was a contributor on Best Damn Sports Show. So we would have him on like every, I think Tuesday were their days off in the NFL. So we'd have him on every Tuesday as, and he would join us via satellite. And he was like one of our, you know, our NFL contributors. And so I got to know him and I was a Giants fan and, and Michael Strahan was like so cool and he was so great and like, got me and my sister to a game and you know my, my me and my buddy to a game just a, a cool guy and then you're you're it's your team you get to go to the game I was in Arizona all week working and I'm just this is just like the best experience that 
And the 2001 World Series Yankees at, at Diamondbacks, I, I went to the, the game and saw Mariano Rivera blow the save, which was a, the other kind of memorable sporting event. It was like heartbreaking and I was numb. But Did you cry? Yeah, for sure I cried. What are you talking about? But <laughs> but the but the Giants Super Bowl win the first time against the Patriots was like that I think that team was like my favorite. Definitely you're one of the hardest working women I know. <laughs> and you're obviously from one thing I've learned, you're one of the easiest criers. <laughs> oh god, I am and you know what? My mom cries a lot for like no reason and I'm like, mom get it together and then you like you, you start to become your parent and i'm like here i am i'll be i'll be using hearing aids in no time <laughs> boy what a what a picture there yeah yeah hearing aids and easy crier yeah i'm a disaster you're the best jamie i'm the worst <laughs> i am the worst <laughs> thank you so much yeah, this is fun it's good to catch up with you all right and, and let me know when you get the hearing aids okay what <laughs> Thank you for listening to my conversation with Jamie. If you enjoyed the episode, please click the like button, become a subscriber to the podcast, and remember to follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram. You can find all of our past shows on the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.